है Like I was, most things. I was kind of holding out for more Anson Mount. <laughs> I miss Anson Mount since, since last week. I really no, miss the guy. He's I mean, not as funny. Mm, I feel like every movie there's kind of an Anson Mount in 300. I feel from now on yeah. we should we should call out the Anson Mount of the movie. Uh, we'll, we'll get to <laughs> there's tons of them in this one. They're well, Anson there's Mounts. one specific Anson Mount I'm thinking of. Oh, I just kind spoiler. of I, I really appreciate that Anson Mount. As we saw in Nonstop, can have a, a sort of a unique place in any movie, and it doesn't have to be Anson Mount per se. It can be an Anson Mount or an Anson Mount stand-in or a Mount alike, perhaps. Um, a Mount a bank. That's a different thing, Kelly Wand. Want you inside me? Uh, let's see. This okay. week, what did we see, Dingus? Tell, tell folks without spoiling anything, because maybe they haven't seen it. Maybe they avoid spoilers, like we sometimes do. So, Dingus, without spoiling anything. <laughs> Tell folks about the movie that we saw this week. Well, this week we saw 300 colon Rise of an Empire. Sorry, I got excited. That's all right. A 2014 action drama war prequel sequel concurrent quell. Mm. Not, not quite adaptation movie about a Greek general who messes about with the Persian Navy. It was directed by Noam Murrow mm. and written by Zack Snyder, Ampersand, Kurt Johnstad, based on the as-yet-unrealized graphic novel Xerxes by Frank Miller. Why do you say it's unrealized? It's just not published yet. I'm sure that Frank Miller has it fully realized in his head, Dinkus. Well, uh, like Wikipedia says it's unrealized, so they haven't realized it. It's coming. <laughs> it's like they're not even aware of it. <laughs> it's like, they're aware. They just haven't realized it. Okay. It's right. not realized. Fair enough. Yeah. I've never heard Tom say that. Wait, you said it. That's why I've never heard him say it. <laughs> it, stars, <laughs> it stars Sullivan Stapleton. <laughs> I love, I love, I, Cersei's name. I love that guy's name. Who, who's yeah. named Sullivan Santa, Stapleton? Is he the grandson of Edith Bunker? Yeah, he is. What about in the movie? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. Sorry. Uh, Eva Green, Lena Hess, ah. and David Wenham. Mm. Mm. 300 Rise of an Empire is rated R mm. for... Oh. Yes, go on. I'm listening. I predict a sum is in here. Slower, Dingus. Do it slow. Strong, sustained sequences of... Stylized, bloody violence throughout. Uh, are we done? Is there more, Dingus? Is there more? Strength. Mm. Some language and... Some. When? A sex scene. There is, however, no use of tobacco in this movie, so if you're listening and you're concerned about that, I just want to make it clear. 300, Rise of an Empire, no use of tobacco, so you're safe tobacco. on that front. Yeah. But I, also, I love that the MPA says that it's a sex scene. As all one word. Um... So asexual reproduction would be G-rated. 
you'll never see an R-rated like spore. Uh, Wally was rated PG, I believe, and there was a sexual reproduction of the little plant that grows inside Eva. Was it Wally rated PG? That wasn't a G movie. I thought uh, Photogenesis. I mean, came up with the idea of asexual reproduction. (laughs) I love when science happens in this podcast. It's like three-year-old screeching. Well, even better than science happening on this podcast, let's do some math. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, which is the percentage of reviews that are positive, 300, Rise of an Empire, is at 43%. That means Kelly Wand. 57% of the reviews of this movie didn't like it. On Metacritic, which is the average of various reviews uh, that may or may not use ratings, uh, on Metacritic, 300, Rise of an Empire, is at 47 Exactly. See, but maybe that means they all liked 47% of the movie. In the box office rankings of the movies that made the most money this weekend, however, 300 is at number one. Ooh. Soft week. Wait a minute, wait a minute. An R-rated movie is number one? You better tell that to those RoboCop guys and those non-stop guys and those three days to kill guys. It can happen. An R-rating does not have to drag your movie down, ladies and gentlemen. We have here evidence that you can have naked people and blood and still be number one in America. Uh, so let's see. It made forty-five million on its opening. Smoking weekend. the Bandit proved that, though. Uh, forty-five million on its opening weekend, which is a little bit short of the seventy million that three hundred made uh, seven years ago. When it it's still pretty good, I think. No, it's still I, yeah. Considering that it's uh, it's Different. not really an active license, and it doesn't have anyone famous. Stars, right? Yeah. No stars. No, they, they, they're, I imagine they're very happy with how it's doing. Yeah. Um, it's a smash. So well, Sullivan no, Stapleton is in it. What are you talking about? I know. All those people are like, oh, that guy from Animal Kingdom. We got to see that. We got to see his next movie. Wait, which guy was he? <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wand, uh, what I would like now is to get away from math and get into some prose. Mm-hmm. Kelly Wand, what would you call a synopsis of the events of 300 Rise of an Empire? In the poor man's math, actually. Many uh, guesses? That's always fun. Listening to you not say the right thing. The 300 Rise of an Epistos. That's kind of... <laughs> see, you punt at the end, just like you do when you write. And fuck. <laughs> that came out wrong. Um, that's a movie reference, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to a porno movie Tom and I watched last night. All right. What was your guess again? I wasn't listening. Uh, it was like 300 Rasphopsis. No, yeah. it, was rise, it was Rise of an Epopsis. It was awesome. It was like, Eep! He I was almost out. scatting. Uh, just don't skeet. I don't know what you guys are saying. I thought I was the gibberish ballast. Well, Kelly One, let's be the judge of that, and why don't uh, you uh, take it away different. with your 300 Rise of the Empire Opsis? No. no. I'm not, I'm not going to start until you say it. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. 300 Ropsis. Rock and roll. Take it. Take it away. You can't... It's 300 Ryzen and Pipe and Pipesis. Fuck, see what you did to me? There's so much to come. All right, Rise 300. <laughs> All right, Kelly Wand, open your cock hole. 300 Rise of an Pipesis. Oh, yeah, my nickname at work used to be the Miracle Worker, but this week they took out the word Miracle. <laughs> 300 Rise of an Pipesis. 
Citizens, it is I, Cersei, the Queen, Senator, First Lady, the entire city of Sparta. In custom with our laws, I knifed the guy from the wire a few minutes ago, so now I'm in charge, and I think those old guys with the tongues who keep an Oricon Adderall been retconned. I shall now say exposition to all of you about how this war started. It probably would have been helpful to discuss this a bit earlier, and you all know this anyway, but at the Battle of Marathon, a bunch of things on a beach happened. And you're all decks. Sticking with the unbeatable invasion strategy we think he used against his last 400 countries, the Persian emperor stood in a boat. Then, praise Baal, one of our non-archers picked up an arrow and shot it in his direction. Though his son Xerxes screamed the nine-millionth arrow today, no, in slow motion and ran towards him, the arrow's slow motion was even faster and struck the emperor in his tyrannically impassive lung. Tactically brilliant to the last, he then grunted with surprise. Also, a horse stepped on some guy's head. One of them may have been Persian. Don't ask me how we know this next part, but Eva Green plucked the arrow out that night, right after he whispered something in her ear. When the son asked her what he'd said, she was all, he said, try harder. By the way, Eva Green was a little girl in Greece when the Persians killed her parents, raped her, then threw her on a slave galley and threw her off that and onto some steps, so she became friends with them. She briefly had freckles, so a black man taught her how to sword fight better than he could. Ten years later, she'd changed hair and eye color, and this one time found three heads tied to a belt, so she wore it into the king's court. I guess she became the head of that army, although she wasn't mentioned in 300, uh... Since a lady with the onions on her belt had plucked an arrow out of his father... The emperor's son was tossed into the desert to die, but as Eva Green somehow planned, he'd found a hermit cave and swam in a pond of gold, which, as everyone but the hermits know, makes you seven feet tall, bald and shaven, and his loincloth smaller. He was now a god, a god who would lose repeatedly despite overwhelming odds. <laughs> it's not all, uh, this but. Eva Green killed all his friends while he walked back into the throne room, so he made her his general and admiral. The Athenian who shot that arrow looked sort of like if Paul Walker went into a telepod with Sam Worthington. His name was Syphilis or something. That he failed to find a second arrow to use against the no-screamer promoted by Persian gold pond deities who screamed has haunted the soul of Syphilis for years but not enough to age him or change his attire. The casualties of that battle were probably bad too, but whoever won is neither known nor relevant. What I am taking forever to remind you senators of is that the no guy had the stink of destiny on him. Destiny. <laughs> so he and Syphilis nodded at one another. Then I guess all the boats left. Good luck. Ah, Eva Green, your beauty is surpassed only by your ferocity which is equaled only by your devotion to whatever lies behind the gold loincloth, and subtracted by your love of sword-fighting, but divided by your skill at sea combat, and rounded down by your skill at military seduction. I am perhaps one of your admirals? <laughs> what are we doing? Invading Greece? Yes. Stephen Green's boob. Uh, historical sidebore, in our Darius state of old age, and Xerxes wasn't there, but all the shit in the Hermit Cave really happened except in blue. And if the Persians had won at Marathon, you'd all be listening in Persian now instead of Greek. 
Circe, tis I, Syphilis of the Blue City State, Athens. Syphilis, we bid thee welcome. Slow motion street fight. Ah, most homoerotic. Thank you. And a 12 versus 1. Quite suspenseful. Uh, so Persia, it's uh, invading us. Or you. Your old men date-raping Oracle Cliff there looks way too steep for Persian emissaries to carry gold up, so that's good. I'm aware. My husband has gone to fight them with 299 of our aging bachelors. I guess our son's not in this. Uh, you guys want any help? A united Greece? A Spartan's highest honor is to die in a battlefield, victorious. Hmm. Well, I'm no expert. I've only killed an emperor of known world. First arrow ever. <laughs> but back where I'm from, the ones celebrating victory usually aren't the dead ones. Silence, boy, lava! You married to Gerard Butler. He's like behind the Richard Chamberlain 2.0. <laughs> I said, this is Sparta! Shit, wait. Stand at the edge of this pit first. Nope, I'm out of here. Good luck with planned suicide. <laughs> uh, this is a different scene, listeners. <clears throat> Sicily, Corsica, Atlantis. Elba back there, Latveria, Winnetka, Hyboria. Uh, bread and cereal group and Persia. Welcome. I know what a couple of you are thinking. When I look out there, what do I see? I see a shitload of sculptors. Mimes, sketch artists, moment shots enthusiasts. A few soldiers probably would have been helpful, but no worries, my pearls of martial wisdom. I'm on to compensate. Uh, I had some notes. Uh, there are only two rules of war. Don't get killed on the first day. Uh, yeah, uh, this guy's got the answers. Now, you all may not know anything, but Persian ships are strong in the front part, whatever that thing's called. And weak in the middle, whatever that's called. So head for that. The weak middle. Hopefully they won't be firing at us at the time. Also, uh, leaping off 100-foot cliffs with your sword drawn to land on their decks and slash randomly is fine. Just make sure you don't do it in groups and only in slow motion. We've lost too many good capes already. Any questions? Yeah, what would you say about the first day again? <laughs> that's my Hitchcock appearance. Tom. Also, does medicine exist yet? Cowards of Greece, we shall punish them for their insolence. But the, remember near the back, you have soft hands, city hands, from counting money, like a doll's hands. Kill him, he's a spy. Fuck, he's in the water. All ships retreat. <laughs> Tom might have slept through most of these parts. Fellow Greeks in boats in hearing range. Go through them, whatever that means. Repeat, do not scream as your ships break to pieces. <laughs> He's got them right. Wait, what's even green again? <laughs> A women's? He's got them right where he wants them. Uh, the opponent, I mean. That's even green. Oh, good one, the opponent. Wait, I thought you were leading us. There's time for you to say all this. There's still time to intervene, probably. All he's doing is shouting to other boats. We could copy that strut. Silence! <laughs> oh, fuck. We just lost. No, you lost. Oh, Jesus. Silence! Uh, hmm. The enemy's tactics are creative. I thought no one besides us knew how weak our ship medals were. Except for that spy who got away and told them. <laughs> 
I haven't seen such creative battle strategies since that same blue cloak's beach archery. Perhaps I can get him to switch sides. Xerxes won't give a shit that I'm banging the dude who shot his dad. That's what the gods meant. That's the green snow. You shall have your victory by day's end. <laughs> Based on all that you just said. All I need is a new navy and a different battle plan. Uh, ah, a CG raven from Xerxes. It says, the Goldwater gods told me in a dream to wait for a hunchback and a goat path. Can't believe I do even less in two movies than I did on Lost. Greeks, we won. Fierce freedom. Now stay here while I go on this boat to, uh, book the enemy queen. Uh... <laughs> Cersei, we have much in common. Greeks burned my city and raped me, so I became a beach arch. Okay, that nipple's definitely CG. But so's this. Hey, man, how'd the peace talks go? Uh, 50-50. My queen, we're fighting the Greeks again. No, you are. Oh, Jesus. Send in my personal guard. Into the oil slick. Silence! Ah, uh, ducking those stupid arrows is how I've stayed alive so long. Father, you're bent over. Here, allow me to help you. No, get away from me, you... F <laughs> Your father fought nobly, hilarious. Wait, hang on, he's still alive. Now he's wheezing. Let me lean in here. Uh, your knee's crushing my windpipe. Try harder. I think he meant you. No, he's dead now. Uh... Why does he yet moan? Uh, yeah, just give me that rock. Don't worry, they can't feel pain. The 300 are dead. Good. Go and tell this to every city in Greece, boy. Just me? <laughs> uh, well, men, this was Athens. Now, you all already know the rule of war I told you guys last 10,000-man war council. Yes, Jimmy. Uh, it's not the first day anymore. Uh, what's, uh, can we die yet? When I look at you all, I see blacksmiths, farmers, spirographers, a couple retirees. Now, I know we're facing Persian aircraft carriers in spiral patterns, but I have a secret weapon, something even more advanced than my archery and jump-off-a-cliff strategies. <laughs> CG later. Uh, after 30 minutes of... It's, this is the same guy, by the way. He's just different. <laughs> 30 minutes of knife fighting. I suspected you would stop an inch short of my throat, so I did as well. Let us now say words. Pulling out at the last second. You fuck like you fight, Greece. Greek. <laughs> Greek! Why, you Greek bitch? Ugh, thy knife hath stabbed me. But not enough. Ugh. Rest in peace, headed enemy. An unlikely love interest. May the gods something. I mean, ah, uh, my guys on somehow prone horses under tarpaulins versus aircraft carrier strategy has paid off handsomely. Stupid Archimedes and his Greek fire. Well done, self. As for the rest of you, though Xerxes still lives and our harbor is filled with splashed, irritated Persians. I guess the battle's over. We've beaten the most powerful army in history. For a few years, Athens and Sparta shall never be at odds again. Guess we put the spont back in hell spont. <laughs> uh, I didn't really have anything prepared. We were going to lose. Cersei? Slow motion nod. Uh, 
All right. Audience, we hope you not only enjoyed our stunt work and computer generations, but what we were trying to say about democracy, drones, gender roles, and nothing. There are no Easter eggs, and this was the director's cut. Tom? At the end? Was I, I wasn't sure if it was... No! Oh. Okay, now it's the end. Okay. <laughs> Fuck. Caroline, I didn't sleep through your synopsis. <laughs> yeah, you did. We all did. I did not. Short, longer than the movie. Uh, I saw this movie with Kelly Wand, and I uh, had had several days of just getting like three or four hours of sleep a night. And, <laughs> plus uh, the wand, deadly combination. Plus what? Plus the Kelly Wand. Kelly Wand, I think it was the Theraflu that sealed the deal. I, I, I did a bunch of Theraflu before going into the theater, and I'm sitting there watching the movie, and I realize I'm getting sleepy, and I think, ah, it's okay, I'll just miss a couple of fight scenes. And suddenly I wake up, and Lena Headey is on a ship, and I'm like, wait, what? What What? What just happened? So I referred to my notes. I had taken a grand total of three Take notes. Sleep. I had taken a grand total of three notes, two of which I couldn't read, and the third one just had the word boats. I agree with the first two. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Your notes are strong at the front, but weak in the middle. <laughs> the Cersei part was the surprise. Uh, so I went inside again with Dingus today. Uh, oh, yes. Wait. So I, I have now seen the entirety. So I am actually responsible for, for, on average, twice as much of this movie's box office take as most people who saw it. But only because you're an idiot, not because you liked it. I wouldn't use that strong a bit of language, Kelly Wand. Oh, you loved it? <laughs> I actually did love it. Yes, I'm. I'm you know gonna totally go to bat. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. We're gonna argue. No, about it. We need. To, just, okay, so Dingus, you talking. have to hate it. Oh God, I hated this so much. It's uh, so good. It's so funny. It was so funny. It's not funny. It's, so it's, it's funny. freaking what? great. It's the it's movie so that makes me want to open my list of movies I love this yeah. year. Oh, I loved it so much. Good lord. Oh my god, I liked it so much more than 300. I did too, Kelly That's what I thought we might... It looks so much better. Holy cats! It looks better, it moves better, I think the actors are better, I think it has a better sense of tone, the action scenes are better. Uh, Immediately after watching uh, this today, Rise of an Empire, we came back and watched 300, and I remember enjoying bits of 300 and some of how bold it was and, and not having this baggage about Zack Snyder back then. But now, I don't think 300 holds up that well at all. On the, on the comic book, and this one being unrealized, I think had more freedom, and maybe 300 success helped make this one more like edgier. It's just it's better. Also, it's better directed. The yeah, yeah. better. The action's good. Oh my god! It's well, so well directed. Holy I mean, I think shit. one of the things that we have realized in the intervening seven years since 300 is that Zack Snyder is so earnest and turgid. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy is so full of himself, and he's got this great visual styling, but it can get old, and it can't really carry a movie, as we saw with Sucker Punch. Uh, you know, Superman, I think some of us liked more than others. Superman was inoffensive, and it was fine, but Zack Snyder just... It's really, slow. It's slow. Zack Snyder does not have a sense of pacing, nice. and that's clear even in 300. Yeah. Um, and and it's all slow motion. I don't and know this. Where, it's not all slow motion. And I don't know where No Murrow is from, uh, but no, this guy know. totally nailed... Pacing that 300 didn't have. Uh, it doesn't have a good story. Like it's actually about. I don't know. It's it's too dumb to to maybe 
give it that level, the level of praise I'm saying, but well, it's I mean, like the, it's like a directorial competition because it's happening at the same yeah, time. Yeah, and the it's also <laughs> right. It's like this it's, reality show where okay, Zach, you can direct the, this movie. There's a dad's son death. No, no, Gnome's going to direct the same movie, but slightly over here to the left. And go, guys. Let's see whose better movie comes out. I do think Kelly Wand is onto something, though, when when he points out that because uh, I think it's you that said it, Kelly, because Xerxes, you know, whatever Frank Miller is doing in the follow-up to Three Hundred, it's not out yet. So I think I get the sense that Zack Snyder saw Frank Miller's comic and he worked with Frank Miller and he wanted to capture it, you know, shot for shot by interpreting yeah. these comic book panels into cinematic language, and I feel that that. Has makes for some striking images in 300, but it doesn't necessarily make for a very good. It's movie. a one-shot uh, comic too. It's only like I think one issue. Or no, but, it's, well maybe it's not. I may be dumb on that. But but here there's there's so much more more freedom to just do it with cinematic language, and there's a lot of striking visuals here. But I never got the sense that somebody was trying to imitate a panel from a comic here, or the first movie. Well, a little bit the same light patterns, but the action's different. The action, which surprised me, uh, and I didn't remember this from the first movie, the action is kind of sedate in the first movie, uh, in that it, it's, it's slow, the music isn't driving, doesn't have this sort of kinetic drive to it with the, the, the drums and the, the percussion music. Um, it doesn't have, and I guess this is partly due to the advances in CG that we can do, but it, it doesn't have some of the same like camera movement and just, just movement, kineticism yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, there are some great cuts, and there's a couple of cool tableaus in it's the first the movie. Spears, though, the funny thing, the spears are weird, but the first uh, combat sequence in the movie looks like it's from a different movie. Like, it looks like, okay, now we're going to try this sequence to see if it fits. And it became Zack Snyder's sort of trademark thing that he did in Watchmen with the prison fight. Like, it, it's sort of Zack Snyder trying out this, okay, I'm just going to have the, the camera tracking along with a, a fight scene. And it sort of, that was where it looked like he was introducing this and playing with it. But there was much more confidence and I think established technology and a sense of pacing in uh, in this sequel when it came to those sequences. And it opened. By the way, it takes 300 a while to get going. This and it's a just, total, yeah. This just starts with a bang, like right off the bat. Just, just one, two, three, three Three great action sequences, yeah. and there's a little bit of a lull kind of before the third act, but man, this thing moved. Yeah. Yeah, and especially considering how much voiceover we get, it that. really feels like it's just completely clipping along. Uh, I, I love that about it. I also like the cultural difference in the music, um, because what I didn't remember from 300, the original, is how, like, uh, I don't know, Celtic the music is kind of. Um, well, I think I guess, there's even like electric guitars. <laughs> yeah, three hundred. And this this music is has much more of like a Middle Eastern kind of flavor to it. It's got sort of this kind of Persian vibe that happens underneath, and some Greek stuff going on in it. I mean, it's got it's much bolder. It's there yeah. are much bolder choices without being off putting. Yeah. Uh, the thing that annoyed me about three hundred at the time was that there's no blood on the ground, which. Or even anywhere, really. But in this movie, it's so gory, and there's so many things going on, um, like burning. Again, it's I'm just like elated that 
to see an R-rated fantasy yeah, action it's movie. super R-rated, and it, yeah. and it, 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 it was obviously from the it get-go. There, they did not hedge any bets. Nobody at any point in the film of this movie thought, well, let's do a take in case we have to do a PG-13 yeah. cut. And it never pisses out. Yeah, it never, and and all the way through, even with some of the sex scenes, man, I love oh that God, image yes. of Eva Green holding that sword out, just just gloriously topless. I mean, oh, oh my God. So great. What, what an and awesome she just image. has no modesty whatsoever. She calls her guys in to get Fuck him out yeah. of here. Yeah. Yeah. And you know Zach would have she doesn't act. There's a reaction shot. Oh, it's so good. It's uh, so good. I totally so, cared about these characters. It was oh, that, This movie is so freaking hot. I love this movie so much. Uh, so let, let's talk about some of these characters. Is Eva Green over the top? What, what is what she's doing a little too much? Does it work? Because uh, I don't. What, I don't think I yes. ever really thought she was that good. What it, I've seen her in some things where I thought she was terrible, and other things where I thought she was inoffensive. Um, but yeah, what did you guys think of Eva Green in this? Her performance. I, I love her. I mean, I. But did you like her before this, though, Dingus? Yeah, I. But I. Why? I'd, I'd watched because I'd watched Casino Royale fairly recently uh, for some something we did. I mean, I didn't care for her in Dark Shadows, but I blamed Dark Shadows for that. Um, and I'd I'd watched uh, Casino Royale recently for I don't know why 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 I did that, but I think it was for some three by three that we did. Um, and I just remember loving her in that movie and loving how sexy she was. Okay. And I think she's I think she perfectly hits it here. I don't think she's over the top at all. I I love what she does. I love the I love everything she she does in this. Uh, and he and and gnome. Whatever his name is, you no Moreau. Come on, he deserves to have his name said. <laughs> All right, it, no, yeah, no Moreau. Which he 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 only directed one career. other thing that I've I've seen part of. It's this movie called Smart People, which is this this sort of uh, I don't know. I, I could only watch a little bit of it because is that a rom com or something? It is. It is. It has uh, Dennis Quaid in it and. and uh, Oh, what's just goes to show you Sex in the City, yeah. Um, and Thomas Hayden Church is in it, and Ellen Page is in it. It's it's okay. It starts just fine, but it has nothing to. do. I don't know where how you watch like Smart People. If you watch like the beginning of Smart People, and then you like hire this guy. To this do guy it. ended up doing Three Hundred Rise of an Empire. Are you kidding me? No, but I love I love her in this. Did you not, Tom? No, I did because I hadn't liked her before. It's it my thing. And when she first showed up, and they had that line about her, her something is only as as paralleled as her beauty and they showed her and she looks kind of like gaunt and awkward uh, yeah, and her right. forehead is high. I mean, she looks harsh. She's been through a lot. Yeah. 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 When, when, uh, in that voiceover, when they're talking about her beauty, as she walks into the, into the, the palace room, you don't think of her as being this great beauty. Right. Right. And, and she didn't, and that's, you know, that's normally how they play her up. The first time I saw her was a Bernardo Berlucci movie called, Oh, I forgot what it is. It's her and someone playing like her brother, and she's naked a lot, whatever. Uh, and she was terrible in it, and it was a terrible movie. Um, and I didn't really like her in Casino Royale. Uh, but no, I loved her in this, and she really got – I mean, just her playing the villain and just being she so committed it. to it. She looked like she was just having a great time with it. Uh, it yeah, so I thought she was fantastic in this. And one of the defining features of 300 – uh, and this isn't necessarily a criticism because it's part of what is, is kind of unique about it. Is 300 is so, even though Lena Headey has some great bits in it, it's such a dude movie. With, like, yes. whether you want to express that as being homoerotic or just about dudes working out or just dudeness or masculinity or testosterone, however you express it, there's very little what we would call female energy in 300. Uh, and Lena Headey even, just a very kind of a manly role. Uh, 
the the way she plays her part. But I, I you know, the fact that Eva Green was basically the the main antagonist in this. Xerxes, I don't know what he 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 just sat around in the background. I was fine. May as well just killed him because we're never gonna. He see. was backstory and that was fine. He was kind of a, a platform. I, I don't know whatever they were doing with him. He sort of faded into the background and I was fine with that because I really did like the fact that unlike three hundred, there was a strong female presence driving this movie. So I was a little bummed that it wasn't Lena Headey more against her and it was just a bitch. Well, that Kelly Wand is the payoff. I mean, yeah. I look love at her it. By the way, look at those guns. My God. Yeah. You look at her arms between 300 Which and this ones? movie. I mean, she's, a, yeah. she's done some oh. working out. She she looks good. Damn. And that's such an amazing payoff, too. I mean, I when I... So when I slept through the movie the first time, and I, I actually did see most of it, I was just coming in and out. And when I woke up and saw that, I, because I didn't realize how much of the movie I had missed, I thought, "Oh, okay, now we're, I'm back in the movie. Okay, let's see where it's going." And then the credits rolled. And I was like, "Wait, what? I what?" what? Uh. But but now seeing it, you know, with Dingus today and, and realizing, oh, that's the payoff. Uh, it's so satisfying. Uh, and the ship's arriving, and her little voiceover about how it begins as a light wind blowing like fingers through her hair. Uh, and the fact that she's doing the voiceover, you know, David Wenham, who's a Faramir, he's the voiceover in the first movie because he's the one who is told, you know, right. you have to leave the hot gates and go back and report or call, report what right. happened here. Uh, so he's the voiceover in the first movie. Here, part of what you're wondering as you're watching the movie is, well, why is Lena Headey doing the voiceover? Uh, and it's it's because she's the one who sort of engineered it's Bishop Lay, though. But she's kind of the one engineering, uh, like like I presume it's. I, maybe like it's her explaining to the troops why we are now united and going to war. Right, right. It's, it's her, her telling the story. Like yeah. it's basically her inspirational speech to rally Greece. Is this story that we're seeing is Lena Headey uniting Greece to to counter the Persians? Right. I wish she killed Xerxes though and avenged Jorabeller. They're just gonna see the story is not right, but it's not the the point of this movie. The point of three hundred is a celebration of elite warriors, and I I, I think different types. Three hundred is very similar to that dopey lone survivor movie, which just came out, and it's uh, it's very it's very rah rah in that regard, and it can be very exciting, and that's fine. The point of three hundred rise of an empire. And by the way, I hate this title. I'll explain that in a minute. Yeah. Uh, is <laughs> is it's the celebration of, of unity against oppression. You know, right. this whole idea of we have to come together to defeat tyranny, and and it's such the stuff of great fantasy, sci-fi, and history. <laughs> you know, we see that all the time in these genres. Uh, and and it's it's used to such great effect here. Uh, so um, what to 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 your point, Kelly Wand, it's it's not really that important that Xerxes dies. What's important is that we see that all of Greece is unified and drives him away. And three hundred, by the way, because it needs a happy ending, it it has to cheat and throw that in there as well. Uh, three hundred also has to show us. Oh, and by the way, everybody gets together and everything's going to be fine. Which didn't happen because the sun was there and Delios was there, and they didn't mention. A, Eva Green, or B, Them. what's his name? Themistocles? Uh, Dingus, can you say Sullivan Stapleton's game, in-game, in-movie name for us? It is Themistocles. Themistocles. Um, but what, I, what I love about the what Kelly Wan is complaining about is that, that Artemisia says, you know, you just sit there in your golden throne and watch from your yeah. point of <laughs> safety that I have afforded you. Because 
because I what I remember is is how 300 the original movie was championed by conservatives as this sort of they're the Spartans and Athens is the Democrats and, and it seems to me that Rise of an Empire is sort of the liberal response right yeah it is it really is oh, that's, a, that's the thing it's, it's like this the Tea Party could appropriate this no <laughs> Democrats are going to go see we're not pussies that's the message of the movie <laughs> we can fight too in fact we get more done than you guys do you guys go out and get suicidally bitched in a little gully out in the sticks while we're taking care of serious business winning war with our awesome beach archer and also by the way i I gotta tell you uh sullivan stapleton can handle those rousing speeches so much better than gerard butler yeah yeah it's you know as much i have so much like baggage for liking gerard butler and he's such a likable fellow and but this guy who i didn't know from adam when the movie started it was only after dingus pointed out that he'd been in uh animal kingdom that i was like oh yeah uh but this guy i i was just totally worked for me and yeah i had no idea who he was like he he just handled everything so well from the speeches to his little reaction when he says Spartans, you know, when he sees them fight yeah. each other. Uh, when they ask about this, how the peace talks went. <laughs> right, yeah. He just, he just gives a little look. Yeah. He does something, yeah, that was office-worthy visually. Uh, but yeah, what it, and again, what an awesome foil to uh, Eva Green. Uh, just to, yeah. Uh, um, They're attracted to each other, but it can't work. <laughs> just can't work. I still relate. Just that, I, I, did, I did love their chemistry. I mean... <laughs> I believed yes. in their chemistry, and that sex scene totally oh, worked so for me. Good. I mean, it reminds me of that weird drive angry sex sex scene. <laughs> yeah, this would work. It goes all the way, Edward. Oh. I'll tell you something else that Sullivan Stapleton can do. That man can own a silly hat. <laughs> what does he wear? I don't those helmets. Wearing. I mean, that's Jerry uh, Butler. Bless his heart. When he puts on his helmet and is yelling and stuff, whatever. But I, the helmet still looks silly. It's really difficult. I'm not even sure Ian McKellen can do it in those X-Men movies. It's really difficult to own a silly hat and to just own it and make it yours. But I, I thought Sullivan Stapleton did that very well. Uh, I read a like a book on research because I worked on the 300 game. And something that was interesting to me was in RL Sparta, like you would aim for the nuts. Like that was considered like the hard, that was the three pointer, like, yeah. Hmm. Okay. I'll, I'll keep that in mind if I'm ever a Spartan warrior, Kelly Wand. <laughs> would you, that title though, it makes no sense. It's so weird. It's such a uh, weird they, title. They batted around some different anyway. titles, including it's one like the uh, Battle for. Salome, whatever. But an empire's were... Persia. That's what I don't get. Right. It doesn't rise. It's not rising. Wait, I guess it's supposed to be a prequel sounding. But the Confederation of Greek city states was not really. Right. Yeah, I know. So I don't. It, it it's just, funny. I, it, I, maybe it makes it sound like more of an action movie, or I don't know what the deal was with Rise of an Empire, but it's, it's a nonsensical subtitle. Uh, I guess, what else are you going to call it? 302? 600. 600, yeah, 301. 300, meanwhile. <laughs> it is. Wait, is that what the comic book's called? That was unreal. The comic is actually called Xerxes. This is Xerxes, yeah. yeah. That's not even what this. Wait, it's I know. called that's, Xerxes. That's about it. That is dopier than, uh, than Rise of an Empire, isn't it? Or was it just like they cast her and they went, this happens sometimes. You go, wait, this tricks the money. we got to rearrange it because she's. Because she's all over the trailers, which I don't think you guys watch, but she was like in every shot of it. Eva Green. Artemisia? Yeah, so they knew when they made at least the trailer that she was stealing the movie. Uh, I did watch the trailer and was really disappointed. They give away the horse. Um, They show, I mean, I guess they show all the crystals. Anson Mount. (laughs) 
Ah, I get it, Dingus. Dingus is funny. Handsome. So, the, the Anson Mount of this movie is also when Kelly Wan and I were watching it. Uh, Kelly we- leaned over and whispered, "That's Dingus's part." There's a, there's a dude in this movie who's totally Dingus, and they don't give the guy any lines for a while. So every now and then there's just a reaction shot to some random dude, and you're like, "Why are we seeing a reaction shot of this?" And then later in the movie, he finally gets to talk, but it's the part that Dingus would play or Anson Mount uh, if Dingus wasn't available. Dingus is our Anson Mount. Yeah. And Dingus, do you know who I'm talking about? The guy with the sort of his name is. is uh, uh, I want to say Noah Mathit. Never say his name. I looked it up before the podcast and have since forgotten it. Uh, but he looks like he's a—he looks like a musketeer. As a like, test, it's like wait a minute. Why is there a? Yeah, musketeer he does. With he does look French. <laughs> it's the French Greek. Uh, was he a Spartan too? Because he didn't—he had no shirt, so I think that he was even a French Spartan. So it's even weirder than. That's what's good about the movie, though. It just—you'll find weird shit every line, every shot. Uh, I wrote it. So the guy playing the spy, his name is Callan Mulvey. Uh, He's got a Callan in his name. Uh, and he actually has that, that wound. He was uh, an actor oh, who was injured in a, in a car accident. He got the scar and the damaged eye from, I think, a car accident. Like Harrison Ford. Or Cor- Corvette Summer. Uh, wow. Yeah, there's another guy. Star Wars kills you. Vehicular. Uh, but I really like that guy, Jack O'Connell. They didn't give him much to do. Uh, I really like him in some other movies I've seen. So he in this? Uh, he's the son. He's the, the uh, yeah. I mean, they didn't give him much to do uh, here. Uh, but I, I like that actor a lot. His uh, yeah. uh, some I we mentioned, you know, some awesome Lena Headey stuff. Uh, Faramir makes a few appearances. It's always nice. No, no McCready from The Wire, whatever his name, and McNulty from The Wire. He's dead. Yeah, but he could have been there early. Oh, we got uh, Epithocles or whatever the hunchback's name was. Ephialtes? Oh, ah, you know its name. <laughs> In the comics, when they kick him over the cliff, uh, no, wait, at the end, disregard what I just said, he goes, he may you live forever, like as a punishment. Does he say that in the movie? He does say it in the movie, yes. Uh, right, right before Leonidas dies, he says that. Right before he does his little trick where I'm going to pretend to surrender. Ah, no, I'm not. Psych. Uh, he says that. Oh, okay, wait, I remember now. When he kicks, when he, when he, he doesn't kick over the cliff. Forget that part, too. When he jumps over the cliff, Leonidas goes, sadly, in the comic, rest in peace. So then when he says live forever later, it's better because he's saying the opposite. Hmm. Thank you, Zach. All right, anyway, Pilates. <laughs> <laughs> The, the dialogue uh, in the original 300 is sillier, too. I mean, there's a lot of little, like, one-liners that don't fit. Lame. Like, they seem thirsty. Let's give them a drink. <laughs> yeah, and they keep saying, let's put that name to the test about the Immortals, like they say it six fucking times. At least in it's this good. movie, the Immortals can fight. I mean, the fights in this movie... Okay, let's talk about the fighting. Because okay. watching the original 300 again tonight, I, I, I think of Zack Snyder's being able to handle that kind of stuff, but the fighting in 300 Rise of an Empire, I thought was really good. I thought it was really good. That that part where um, where Themistocles winds up on the ship after the horse thing, and he's fighting like four guys at once. I mean, all that stuff. And yeah. any of Eva Green's fighting, these people all look like they can fight. The fights from the battles to the one-on-one stuff, I think is much better. And Lena Headey just looking so pissed at the end, you know, with her husband's ah. sword even there. And the thing is, it does a great job of escalating. Like the, that early scene with uh, of the, the battle at Marathon with the normal motion and the slow motion coincided with the lightning flashes. Yeah. You're like, well, what? okay, how can you top what that? Happened? 
Right. Uh, well, no, it looked great, and it's a great sequence, and it's the great, you know, they do the great thing with the camera. I mean, it's all basically animated, I'm sure, but it's some great CG, and you sort of have a sense of, well, you've, you've, op- you've opened with a showstopper. You know, you're supposed to close with a showstopper. <laughs> Where are you going to go here? But I felt that each fight ended up escalating somehow. They then fold in the naval element. They start mm-hmm. doing more decapitation or dismemberment stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, um, uh, by at, by then adding in the characters that you really, you know, having Eva Green fight, uh, having uh, the the father played by uh, what's his name, Callan Mulvey fighting. Uh, like I I like how they managed to top each successive fight and keep it fresh that way. Um, which what they did in Three Hundred, and there was none of that here, by the way, is they would throw in wacky creatures. Like, okay, now they're going to fight a cave yeah. troll. Okay, now they're going to fight a rhinoceros. Now they're fighting oliphants. Uh, now they're fighting, uh, you know, there were these weird supernatural elements. And even in the original, when the immortals get their mask knocked off, they're orcs. Yeah, <laughs> there's, yeah right. There's orcs in there. There was none of that here, with one little exception, which was a dream sequence with those sea dragons. <laughs> I loved that. I did too. Uh, At first I thought, is, are we going here now? What's going on? Yeah. I had this, no idea we were in a dream sequence. Right. You think, okay, is this where they're, they're now going to start rolling out the supernatural elements? Like the warg. There's even a warg in the first movie. Uh, and nope, it's, <laughs> it's just his, it's his sort of, uh, nightmare of the, you know, people being devoured by the sea. And, uh, I, I loved that. Uh, that they, they didn't have to. And it was a transition. Right. It was a North by Northwest esque transition from him drowning to waking up yep. the other guy cradling him. Like you, I cradled you to this movie, <laughs> and even the training sequence with Artemisia as a as a like a teen, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, with I, which with the uh, with the messenger guy, Peter. I think it's Peter Mensa. Wasn't he? In, isn't he the same guy? Yeah, the emissary who gets kicked in the oh, that's first. that guy. It's totally that guy. Yeah. yeah, his name's Peter Mensa. Uh, so it's his revenge. The whole that changes everything, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. But even that, even that, they bothered to find. A way to make this young girl in this training sequence. They didn't. They didn't seem to cut around it, or if they did, I didn't notice like I normally do. Um, the fighting. I really loved the fighting in this movie. Damn. Yeah. yeah. yeah uh, it's cut away from the good shit, which is something that Paul Thomas Anderson, the lame one, always does. It irritates me. Oh, and, and yet you still want to see Pompeii. <laughs> you saw it. I didn't. I killed. Kelly, if you want to see. If you want to yep. see someone cutting around actors who aren't fighting, see Pompeii. You'll get plenty of that. Probably after 300, it'll it'll be to uh, bread and water. Oh god, not bread and water. It'd be it'd be like steak and dirt. I mean, Pompeii shit. would just be so insufferable after having shit. seen Rise of an Empire. <sighs> I'm so uh, see. I was bummed for you because you were you slept so much through this, and I was really enjoying it. And I enjoyed it despite your sleeping through it all. <laughs> Oh, there's another moment I really liked. I'm sorry, I, I just got so excited through this movie. Um, remember. The moment where there's this huge explosions at sea. Um, there's this, there's these two, there's these two great reaction shots where Themistocles and Artemisia, in separate shots, turn away from the explosion yeah. because it's so obviously because of the heat of the fireballs. Uh. And in usually in action movies, the heroes just stare it down or are walking away coolly. And I loved that they had to turn away from this this explosion that's happening. That's not something that usually happens in their world. I love that. And that, too, that's another example, Dingus, of how, okay, we see this awesome naval fight. How are you going to top that? You know, that first naval fight is kind of like 
they pull out all the stops there. Right. They don't save anything. Yeah. And then you just have the, the naval fight in the straits where they shatter the ships and the guys jump down. But then for the naval fight after that, all that fire stuff uh, with the suicide bombers and stuff. Like, yeah, I, strategies. I like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Creative tactics, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and they lose. Like, it's, they don't win every time like they do in 300. 300 is just them holding out against right. – these guys and the orcs and then another guy. But in this, it uh, goes back and forth. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Sorry I cut you off. What were you going to say? Oil? Uh, I was going to say rocks. Rocks! <laughs> uh, that's good. That's, pro- that's not like something they would have said. Uh, so the the ships, it, I, I wondered about this at one point. So they make it clear, of course, that the Persians have a lot of slaves in their army. And they show the dudes rowing the galleys and being whipped. But then... I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Well, how are the Greeks powering their ships? And I guess they just don't whip. Are, are they like paid employees down there? Because at no, one I point you see them, shows- you see them looking up at uh, Thermistocleides, whatever, like waiting for an order when they were going to row in reverse. Um, so there's dudes down there. I guess they're just not slaves. They're paid no, employees, I, right? I thought it was clear that they were slaves too. Oh, I thought that was clear. I thought they I just thought they made it clear that. Well, it's that I think. That Greeks have a concept of freedom for certain members of their society, but I thought it was clear that the that the, the, the guys in the uh, in the galley were okay. Well, those guys at shown. least they weren't whipped and they weren't as bloody or sweaty. I did notice <laughs> that's so, what democracy provides. Right, they didn't work them as hard. I guess is yeah. the thing. But I did wonder about that because we're showing all those slaves chained to the the oar handles in the galley in the Persian galleys, and then at one point I'm like, well the Greeks are doing that too. Why don't we call them out for it? Well, the Spartans, they didn't put this in 300, but uh, even in the comic, they're like, there's a lot more uh, like sadomasochism in their society. Like they're like standing on it and going, oh, it was the weather down there. And in a while, they had to like, stri- to, one of their rights of manhood was they had to strangle a slave on prom night or something. <laughs> wow, that's kind of mean. Instead of making out, but prom is they have to go out into the desert for five days. Prom and the Olympics—they invented both those, and so did vampires. Um, but yeah, I hope you learned a little something from what I just said. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly Wand. Prom uh, and River. So, what's go for the nuts? Is that what what you how you fight a Spartan? Uh, no, it's how you fight a Persian. They bigger nuts. Oh, I thought you were saying that's how you were supposed to. No, you are. That's with the Spartans. That was their strategy against the Persians. Okay, fair enough. Um, See, and the shields were round because it was like for the dude next to you that it was protecting. Right, and if you can't raise your shield high enough, you can't be a Spartan. Right, stupid hunchback. All right, I loved the music, uh, but I hated the fact that we had a Black Sabbath song at the end. I did not need that over the credits. Did that bug you guys? Uh, Well, you know, you take what you can get. Mm, the music was so good throughout. A, a good movie, a good movie can turn into a great movie with the right music at the end, and then take you out of it again. I felt like I was taken out. I was like, "Oh, really? We're going to do a hangover?" Uh, what would you have put? What would have been your? What would I have back? put at the end of Rise <laughs> of an Empire? Uh, the Imperial March for Star Wars, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I don't know, but it's not my job. Really one. I didn't make the movie. It's up to Gnome Murrow. I just podcast about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's where my genius lies. <laughs> Saying their score was terrible. Kevin, what did you think of the scene in the Senate there? Uh, Ellen Brody. One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 to 
Did you say Ellen Brody? Yeah. yeah. I don't get I think of the sickest thing I could. Ellen Brody of Jaws fame? Oh, there's only one Ellen Brody, Dingus. Let's try oh. to sit um, where it's Brody and Hooper as roommates. It's called Hanging. There's with only one Ellen Brody, Dingus. Brody Galore. Oh. <laughs> oh, guys. Lauren <laughs> Gary. Dude, we were eating Jaws at work. It's been a slow week. Games come out. Um, to each other? Like dies, yeah. On each other's laps. But, like, Quint dies on, like, the next to last page. Spoiler <laughs> Did you remember that? He puts sheep on it, and then, like, a reporter begs to come with them. Really holds up. <laughs> what was the 3x3? Three three? I wish... Idiot. I wish yeah. yeah, what is the 3x3 three three this week? Wish what? Speaking, of, speaking of reading Jaws... Oh, see what you did. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, it's books that should be movies but aren't. That should be movies but aren't. Okay. It was more. It's it's boring to you, Tom, but the listeners. Yeah, I find this terribly. I find this exciting, thrilling. I can't wait. I love my it's, picks. Do uh, you? Are you being facetious? Or oh, are you? Please, you know my facetious voice. Well, you're sick all the time now. Are you asleep? I'm Grandma. That's how you sound. Uh, I am introducing next week's 3x3. Aren't I? Is it my turn next week? Okay. Yeah, you're next, because yeah. I, so, I did, the, I did delusions it. last week. And so, I'll be, <laughs> so I'll be going first. Uh, my number three book that should be a movie is the... Uh, hmm, which one? You read three books? No, I haven't. Uh, so I, I, This is a book that I have seen. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, uh, is so there's a, a book a called, there's a book called Flu by a, a woman named Gina Collada who is a New York uh, New York Times science reporter uh, and she wrote a book about the the flu outbreak in the early 20th century and an effort by some people to dig up victims of the flu outbreak and study the actual virus um, and you can't really do that because people decompose when they die so one of the things they thought is that hey some people caught it in Alaska and would have been buried below the permafrost. So maybe we can dig up some of the examples of the flu virus from there uh, and study it. And in the course of writing the book, Gina Collada uh, theorized, along with some of the, the scientists at the time, what if we dig it up and it's active and it catch and we catch it and it starts another epidemic? That's a doomsday book. But the thing is, I wasn't that that part didn't interest me interest me nearly as much as the account of the influenza epidemic in the early 20th century. And it got me thinking, I would like to see more period piece disaster movies. Like, uh, actually, Titanic kind of comes to mind, but not that, not Titanic. That's what I, happened, was it fucked up the uh, the flu epidemic movie? Because it was too similar, too close to historically. Here's what I wish that a movie would do. Be a period piece where the world ends. Like have an alternate history apocalypse. I want in the in the 1920s. I want a movie about the influenza epidemic destroying the world. So that's what I want, and I want them to uh, option the rights to Gina Collada's book Flu. So there you what go. What about a zombie movie set in the 20s? I would love that. So Kelly Wan, there's this board game called A Study in. A- oh, by the way, one of my favorite things about Eva Green in uh, 300: Rise of an Empire is in her chambers. She's got a board game set up on the table that she's going to invite Thermoclides to play with. With her. But she sits on it. Doesn't that bother you? No, she doesn't mess oh, up any of the pieces, though. She doesn't mess up any of the pieces. She's respectful of that. Um, 
At any rate, Kelly Wan, this, this board game called A Study in Emerald that I've been trying to get you to play, it's, it's set in Victorian England. You can have a zombie apocalypse in that game. It's Cthulhu Mythos that won in the 1300s, right? Is that what you told me? Well, it's the Victorian era as if Cthulhu's been running the world and Sherlock Holmes is. But why did he let tech, oh, but why did he let technology evolve? He, Cthulhu. Uh, he's trying to. He's using war to conquer mankind, and he needs weapons for that. And he, really? a, you know what? I don't know. Ask uh, Ask HP Lovecraft. He's responsible for all that stuff. So the movie you want to see is not what we just talked about. It's a it's a a, a flu apocalypse movie set in the twenties based on Gina Collada's uh, nonfiction. There you go. There's a thing. There's a book by Connie Willis called Doomsday Book, where a girl goes back in time to the Black Plague. But then they're digging up the bones in the modern day, and then the bones cause plague now at the same time. And they have to like she get she was she didn't she wasn't supposed to go there. So have to get her back too. There's Locked a movie. Up. There's a movie directed by Michael Crichton called Timeline, where Paul Walker goes back in time. Did you see that game? Uh, what's it called? Plague Inc. Thing. Really uh, try to cause plague. Sure, yeah, where you play the role of the disease and you mutate it to infect the most people before killing them. Of course, it's a great game. It is. Yeah, I think so. It's a it's a unique take on that kind of uh, disease horror. Yeah, Plague right. Inc. is awesome. Yeah, it's difficult too, Kelly Wand. It's hard to what? it's hard to destroy mankind. They're resilient buggers. They're not. Yeah, they are. It's like it'd be really easy. You're talking about they're not. We've been around for thousands of years. Of course we are. Thousands? The dinosaurs are like hundreds of millions, and we're mm. barely making it through this Six, century. 6,000 years. 6,000. That's how old the dinosaurs are, Dingus? That's how old we are. The, the, the Bible is the book I want to see, man. There, there you go. No way. I mean, we, by the way, when I say we, I mean we as a civilization, rather than oh, just, America? Just people, or Rather than just people like waltzing yeah. across the Bering Strait or whatever. I'm talking yeah. about with sure. cities and agriculture and tombs. No, I thought you meant. I thought you meant the Earth. Sorry. <laughs> At any rate, so that's my pick, Kelly Wan. Did I put enough thought into this for you? Cause it's yeah. Because I got to warn you, Kelly Wan, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> really? Well, it seemed weird that you just went like you could have just said any book about the flu. You could have said Andromeda Strain, but like make it sit in the twenties. Andromeda Strain. Instead, you went. No, I read flu. Kelly Wan, Andromeda Strain isn't just a movie. It's a movie and a mini series. Right. You could have picked a pig and a banana. I don't know what Dingus is referencing. So from there, let's go to Dingus's number three pick for a book that's not a movie but should be. All right. I'm going to do a dramatic reading from all of my choices. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's going into a wide elliptical Earth orbit, Judith Hoffman said. Peregrine about <laughs> 10,000 kilometers, apogee about 500,000. It'll make a loop around the moon every third orbit. She pulled back from the video screen to let Greg Lanier have a look from where he sat on the edge of her desk. For the time being, the stone still resembled a baked potato with no meaningful detail. Lucifer's hammer? No, uh, Lucifer's hammer was one of my runners-up, uh, but I feel like Lucifer's hammer's been covered by... Um, Deep Impact, Deep Impact, and that other movie. Uh, this is called Eon. It's by a writer Greg named Bear. Greg Bear. Very good. Uh, and I love. I would love to see this movie made, uh, mainly because I've read Eon probably twice, and uh, it's it's in the in a, in a genre. When I first read it, I didn't understand because I, I just picked it up at some 
library sale, you know, where they sell all the crappy books that they're not going. Or not, this isn't a crappy book. It's a really good book. But they sell extra books that they can't check out or they don't have space for. And uh, I didn't know what, what the term hard sci-fi meant. I had no idea. I just read it. I, I really don't have a mind for engineering or for mathematics, or at least at that time, I did not. And so reading it, I had a really hard time wrapping my brain around this book. Um, it's about this... Uh, this asteroid that appears near the Earth, but it's this elongated spheroid, which appears to be identical to another asteroid called Juno. And they go inside it, and there's all these caverns inside. And, it, and, it, and then there's this space that they get into that seems to be bigger than the asteroid itself is. And it seems to have traveled through time to it's tell about... Yeah, and it, it basically is, and they and it has traveled to time to tell where they are at this point in time, and it's the one time travel novel, uh, and I don't think you can call it a time travel novel, but anyway, uh, I would love to see Eon made into a movie just to have it explained to me, basically, and and for each of my choices, which basically these are all novels that I read as a kid and loved. Uh, it, for one reason or another, whether I understood them or not, um, I'm going to give you a director, and I and I would like Duncan Jones to go ahead and do this one. So this is Eon. I loved what uh, what he did with Moon. I think this is a huge. This would be a huge step. Um, I think it would be a huge, huge production to have to make this thing. Things, um, but I would love for for Duncan Jones. Do you know what Duncan Jones is busy with these days? Uh, no. It's a little property called World of Warcraft. Mm. Ew. <laughs> you mean he's he's constantly leveling his characters up? No, he's doing the movie. No, instead of Moon of Warcraft, he's doing the World of Warcraft movie. He's. I, uh, believe, I believe Diablo will be. No, there's no World. Of she's writing it. Sam Raimi was supposed to make that, and he made a whole Oz movie in the time it took him to not make World of Warcraft. Rendezvous at Raimi. Uh, Kelly wants so, Dingus, anyway. to to meet Dingus's needs for about this mysterious object that people explore movie. His needs for this kind of movie. Should he see Sphere? Oh, he's seen that. Oh, okay. Just checking. But you know what, Dingus? You should read Blood Music by the same author. It's like about a plague, so, but it's too smart for Tom probably to handle. I've read a couple of Greg Bear books. I've never read Blood, Blood Music, though. I've found that if you go, if you just find whatever won an award or was nominated, it's usually good, but only with books. <laughs> I think I read uh, <laughs> the other one I read. I think... And Forge, I think it's called The Forge of God or something like that. Oh, wait. I've read that one. What happens in a... I don't remember. I just remember line. the title. But Eon is the one I would pick uh, out of my collection of books that have not been made into movies. So there you go. Your turn, Kelly. All right. This is my boring one because now you're making me want to do quotes from them. So while I ransack quotes, I'm going to leave you with this one so Tom can fume, too, and then go on to his number two. But my number three is all the Master and Commander books, but they all have to be a movie each. And just so we can get to the fifth one, because there's a really good fight on that one, Desolation Island. Do you remember that one with the Vox Amhai, that Dutch ship? Yeah. Where they're like, you do? I remember oh, it, geez, but you've already broken your category because it's already been made into a movie. No, but that movie just, it wasn't the first Doesn't matter book. if you didn't like the movie. <laughs> no, I did like the category. movie. It wasn't your, all right. No, so, so I see, so these can have been made into a movie. Because I want to change my answer. Like it, yeah. Okay, oh, if you don't like it. All right, then I'm going to change my answer. One. I'm changing my answer to Jaws. <laughs> no, wait, I did like that movie. Rats. 
in the book version of you need a bigger boat they they go like 20 25 and then they're still talking about it three pages later like yeah i think it's like 28 uh and then um so specifically specifically the fifth book then yeah but all 20 but the fifth one yeah if you're gonna be uh finicky about it then yes Fuck I'm going to be finicky about your getter, your topic. <sighs> See, I play it fast and loose, like my racquetball. Carry one, you aren't fast and loose. Here's my number two pick. Okay. I wish that this would be made into a movie. This is a book. I have read it. The uh, Rules for the Traveler RPG, which is a science fiction uh, tabletop RPG. Um, you suck. What? Dingus cares about the topic enough. What does that mean? The rules for the Traveler RPG. So Traveler's like D and D, but it's science fiction. And and when you would roll up a character in D and D, you just like roll three d six. That's your strength. Three d six. That's your dexterity. Three d six. That's your wisdom, and then your constitution, and then your charisma, and then you're done. Or no, you pick a class, whatever. Blah blah blah. All of that sucks. In Traveler, you would roll up your character's career. Like you would say, okay, I'm going to go to a ship pilot school. Roll for what classes you take your first year. Okay, you have this skill and that skill. Okay, roll for what your first patrol is. Okay, from that you pick up this skill. Okay, now roll for, are you going to re-enlist for a tour of duty? You're going to take a desk job. Oh, a desk job? Okay, roll for your administrative skills. You create this entire career for your character, and then you roll up whether or not you get a ship. And you always want that <laughs> ship at the very end. If you don't get a ship, your character sucks and you want to start over. So there you go. Kelly Wan, did you not play Traveler? I, uh, I don't play games with two L's in the name. <laughs> I think you're okay. That one always throws me for a loop. Is it one? Yeah. Because I always screw that up. And the I, Yeah, so you might be okay, Kelly Wan. So there's like... Focusing, I can never figure out how many S's going. But one of the one of the uh, the rule books for Traveler would have like the diagrams, the layouts of all the ships that you could get, and it's just a little schematic of your ship. And here's where the quarters are, and here's the cockpit, and you come back, and here's where the fuel is, and here's your cargo bay, and the engines are over here. I loved flipping through those and just creating this like make your own sci-fi story. Uh, I don't know how you would do that as a movie though, but I'd like to see someone try. It's not a book. Yeah, it is. It's totally a rules a- manual? That's yes. like calling a documentary a movie. It's well, nonfiction. No, that's it's die t- tables. You want that made into? Um, maybe. It has to. Oh, I can't believe you picked a game. For the one not, time, not, I do a 3x3 three three that's print centric. I'm the game. I'm picking the rule book. Because playing Traveler was couldn't hold the candle to rolling up your character using that manual. Like that right there was the peak experience from Traveler. Once you had your character, you were done. Who cares what happened then? It was. This all- is, you- and I'm saying this is saying something. The worst choice you've ever made. Ever? Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's worse than or fake. Hey, well, there are people listening to this podcast right now who are going, "Yeah, right on." Tom is totally right. That was the nope. best part of Traveler, and it should be a movie far earlier than this stupid World of Warcraft movie gets made, by the way. Well, that's true. But... Warcraft movie, we need a Traveler movie, and it needs to specifically be based on the character generation system. And it's not my job, (laughs) it's not my job to think of how to make this into a movie. It's the job of the people who make it. So you didn't say that I had to come up with that part. It's the job of the listener to make this choice good. (laughs) There are people listening right now who are going, yep, Tom is right, that was an excellent thing, and it should be a movie. You're the Rush Limbaugh of movie podcasting. Did you say Limbaugh? Limbaugh? How do you say it? 
I forget what he is. Hey, well, let's see you top that, Kelly Warren. What's a better pick? Wait a minute. Hang on. I'm so upset at you. We're not done yet. Okay. One of you. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? What is even the plot? of Like, the Traveler movie, what would it look like? It would be Star Wars. That's what you're basically saying. Oh, no. Good what movie would it resemble, even? And but, not, uh, I know. That's a great question, Kelly Warren. I'm glad you asked that. There's no movie that has been made yet like that, so it wouldn't resemble anything that we know. Boom. All right. By you tried to stroke me with the first with your little compliment, but that's not a good answer. Uh, all right. <laughs> like I always love that when uh, as uh, I was, like I was recently at a press event, and uh, <laughs> at this press event, people would ask questions that were really stupid or that had already been answered, and I find myself uh, <laughs> muttering things like "not a question" or. He just answered that 10 minutes ago, uh, like wishing that I could stand up and be the person to say that. But because it's a press event, they have to be nice to all the press people. The, the people answering always have to say, that's a really good question. And then yeah. answer it. <laughs> and, and I know there 99 percent of the time that somebody says that's a really good question. They are lying. <laughs> what about there's two things you told me. A guy turned to you and I don't know if this happened more than once where they said, no, wait, start over. What did the guy say? Where they said, we have this in our game? Uh, well, that's sort of veering into video game talk. We could do that, but I, I w- at this press event, uh, it was announced that the game had recently incorporated sitting animations so the characters could sit down. And one of the guys, the press guy who had been invited to this, said out loud and with, without irony, he was completely sincere, said, yeah, I love sitting. And no one laughed at him. Every, every, no one knew. Was he joking? Is he not joking? Does he have Tourette's? Uh, what, yeah. <laughs> but at any rate, so Kelly Wand, Traveler, the, the, the rules booklet for character generation, they're these cool little black uh, books. They're, they're kind of uh, almost – they're a little bit bigger than a, a trade paperback or a paperback would be. Um, they're kind of thin, but they're very handy. Um, you can look it up online and uh, make a movie out of it. Someone who's listening, do that. I read those traveler books, and the Starship comet seemed the most interesting to me, but also I never could understand it. Like, it involved thread, even, and looking at line of sight. Yeah, it might have been impossible for me to understand. Right. Maybe you should stick to the D&D, Kelly Wan, third edition rules. Because you're a math genius. (laughs) Well, oh, and wait, so after the guy went, I like sitting, didn't the guy next to you go, my kids will like that? And then look at you like you're supposed to say something when a guy says, my kids like something. Like, oh, yeah, I have kids. You want to see pictures of them? Like, that's the exchange that society is just trying to trap you into. Uh, I did. He did not. Not in response to that particular comment. Dr. Laura on her show used to, like, berate listeners when they would start to talk. And she's like, that's not a question. Yes. And then the, the, then the person would start to talk. She goes, that's not how a question starts. I think Dr. Laura should be responsible for conducting all Q&A henceforth. And so when you mentioned muttering that under your breath, I just remember listening to her, and I think it's her, on her show, which I listened to a thousand years ago, when, 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 she, <laughs> when, she, get, when she would get impatient with somebody and she was like, all right, now ask me your question. Well, the thing is, a right. question does not start like that. <laughs> Try again. Okay. You know who else, Dingus, will not accept any guff when it comes to that? Uh, Judge Judy. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, Give us an example of a book that should be made into a movie, but has or hasn't been made into a movie. But if it has, you can't like the movie. Wait, can I go next? Oh, yeah, yeah. Dingus, why don't you go next while Kelly Warren thinks of this? Thinks of All right. Uh, I'm going to do another dramatic reading, I have to tell you. 
Uh, Randy found himself on his feet, throat dry, heart pounding. This was not the season of Thunder. Notebook has a character named Randy. Randy. It is Randy. Uh, Nor were storms forecast, nor was this Thunder. He stepped out onto the upstairs porch. To his left, in the east, an orange glow heralded the sun. In the south and beyond the horizon, a similar glow slowly faded. His sense refused to accept a sun rising and a sun setting. For perhaps a minute, the spectacle numbed reaction. What had jolted Randy from sleep, Randy. he would not learn the facts for a long, well, very long time after, were two nuclear explosions, both in the megaton range, the warheads of missiles lobbed in by submarines. Aren't all nuclear explosions in the megaton range? No, only these. <laughs> Nothing's ever in megatons except mushroom clouds. All right, so this uh, novel is a book I read as a kid. Uh, this is called Alas, Babylon. It TV is by, movie. Oh, Patrick Frank. It's by Pat Frank. Very good. I haven't read um, it. It's a TV movie, five. isn't it? I found no movie adaptation for any of the Maybe things. I'm just thinking it's a day like after. Eclipses. Maybe. No. I thought Alas, yeah. Babylon had been adapted. Right? I found no. Oh. no, it was, it was uh, on the beach, thinking of. Well, that's like an old, yeah, that's like a grandpa movie. Grandpa movie. Yeah. So this is The Last Babylon by Pat Frank. Uh, this is uh, was published in 1959. Uh, and I would have uh, Fernando Moraes uh, direct this. Uh, he's the guy who did... Um, Blindness? Blindness, very good. Uh, and I just love, uh, what I love in memory, I don't, I, you know, I try, I read the first couple hundred pages of this book this week. And it's amazing how long it takes uh, one of these novels to get to the point, get to the actual thing that happens. It's all just like laying in characters and, and building in what the characters are doing. And, and the things I like about this are like what Randy, this, this guy has to do because Randy's brother works for uh Supreme Allied command and um, lets him know that war is coming and gives him a check for $5,000 that he has to cash and then he has to go shopping and he has to do all this stuff to get ready for the coming, you know, nuclear Holocaust. And, uh, one of the things, one of the things I remember is Randy getting all this liquor to use as currency. And, and he's got like, like cases of liquor and then he figures we're going to be able to use this as currency in the post apocalypse after the nuclear war happens. And then it immediately gets stolen by some like biker dudes. And they can't use that. Um, but I, I love this. It's, it's, in this, it's in this little Florida town, and, and this group of people that all these characters are created, they have to create a society of their own. And I love this. You know, Tom mentioned earlier when he was talking about the flu epidemic, uh, he, he was talking about that kind of um, period po- period apocalypse that we don't have now. And so I would, I would still like mm. to have it at at that time when, when the cold war could have happened. And, you know, the thing about Eon, the one I mentioned about the, the Greg bear book takes place on the cusp of a nuclear war between the United States and the Soviet Union. This one, this book, uh, alas, Babylon happens, uh, takes place as that is happening. My, my last one takes place after that has happened. Um, so, so this is, this is in the midst of, a a nuclear war and how, how these people are surviving in the middle of that. And I love that kind of fiction. And so, uh, and I love the way Fernando Moraes directs blindness as, because it's, that's kind of like a smaller drama 
in the way that this is that sort of smaller drama in a post-apocalypse. And so, Alas, Babylon would be my second. I'm guessing Kellywan has not seen Blindness. I'm guessing no. I've seen that. Miracle Mile. Uh, I, I can do the awesomest apocalypse in eight words. You guys ready for this? This is an eight. This is an apocalyptic drama, and it only takes eight words. I'm borrowing it from someone else. Maybe you'll know the source. But you ready for this? This is an eight-word apocalypse. Ready for this? Here we go. Why are you taking a bath? I'm not. Uh, yes, that's exactly what I was thinking of as I read. <laughs> as I read what what Randy was going through and getting ready. There's a moment where. Randy. Randy, Randy. He's he's talking to, and you know, there's there's they, they have like family servants, and the N word is used a fair amount here and there. Um, and fifties man, wow, fifty nine. Yeah. yeah, and and he calls like they're they're like the the guy who does their lawn work in to talk to him and give him some extra money and whatnot. And he and the the guy's like, we're pretty good. We're gonna have water. You're not. And and Randy's like, oh. I didn't even think about water because they have an artesian well. So but I immediately thought about that bath scene. Which is from The Road, the book and the movie. So, Kelly, what, if I didn't like the movie, can I pick The Road as a, move, a book that should be made into a movie? That you like? Yeah. Like if I didn't yeah. like the, the John Hillcote version of The Road because it had a Cody Smith McPhee in it, and could I then Chloe. pick? Oh, wait. No, that's what? Now, uh, mixed up. So can I change my number two from the Traveler's Rule Book to The Road? No, you're going to be punished for even saying the Traveler's Rule Book <laughs> forever. All right, well, Kelly, Wan, you. what is your... Oh, wait, you know what I was going to say? Yes. Did you read this dude named... It was like a British horror writer named James Herbert, and he wrote <laughs> three books about rats, and the first one was just called The Rats, and then I think the second one was called Lair, and then in one called Domain, they become irradiated after nuclear war. So it's like, ah, oh, nuclear war... It's bad enough. Fucking rats. Like radioactive giant rats attack everybody. Oh, you didn't say they were giant. You buried the lead there. Oh. Yeah, they're giant. And their claws are big. Like crap. Like what? You just made me think of the stainless steel rat. Aw, that'd be a good movie, huh? Harry Stryker. No, Harry... What's him? Harry Harrington. Harrison. Harrison. Guy Guy Degrees... What's this first it's, name? It's James... Um, James. It's James Bolivar Degrees. James Bolivar Degrees. Who See? wrote it? Harry Harrison. Harry Harrison. I never read Make Room, Make Room, because it had two exclamation points in the title, but I guess it's his overpopulation novel. I love those stainless steel rat books. Yeah, they're pretty cool. He's like Maverick, Tom. Or, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't make me much to you. Uh... He's like a bank robber who helps old ladies across the street, but it's science fiction. He robs banks because it's good for the economy. Huh. Yeah, it should be a movie. Not interested? Interesting. <sighs> Tom, what's your favorite nuclear war movie or book? What's your number? What's your number two, Kelly? Oh, oh okay. I didn't say. It. I was going to do a line from it. Please do. Rather than hear Tom's answer, I think I'm. I, I didn't even know what the question was. That's a good point. Um, <laughs> It's not a movie. My number two. I forget if I've tried to make you read this or not, but it kind of breaks the category because it's a novella. You gonna be a dick about it? <laughs> <laughs> Has it been bound and published? If only so, it's a only in skin. Wow, mm. hardcore. J.K. That was just to get Tom interested in reading it. Um, 
as a child, I was told not to gather souvenirs from the cemetery, but it was hard to determine where our overgrown garden blended with the overgrown fringe of Dreamer's Hill. I'd found skulls that clearly lay on our property if Mother permitted me to collect them, although she would shudder and urge me to find a healthier pastime. Why shouldn't I pick up skulls that lay in plain sight a few steps farther on? It's uh, Throne of Bones, Tom. Mm. With Sean Bean. Brian McNaughton. You're... And, and Lena Headey. That character's name is Glyftard. It's about ghouls, Tom. Okay. That's never been done in a movie. Name one movie that's got ghouls in it. Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. Orcs are, are like whites. They have a cave ghoul. Okay, first of all, there are no Barrow Whites yes. in the movies. Peter Jackson did not see fit to include the Barrow Whites. And second of all, orcs are like ghouls, which is why I was saying that. Throne of Bones, it's called? Yeah, I want to make Dingus read it. I'm very hit and miss recommending that and Master and Commander. Well, send me a book every now and then, because you send right. this guy ones, and he won't read them. Yeah, and he doesn't read them, and then, he, and then he laughs at me, and then reads to you from them to point out how stupid I am. So, so not only does he not like it... So who writes Throne of Bones? Brian McNaughton. He's dead. Oh. If that helps, you find him. <laughs> it's important that you say to the librarian when you're looking for a book whether the author is alive or dead. He's <laughs> dead sections. <laughs> <laughs> what book are you looking for? Dead or alive? It's actually, against all logic, it's the smallest section in the library. Like, most authors are alive now. And, mm, like, the dead uh, section. Not like, so much. Like, in the basement. What? No. I yeah, I'm going to need to check your work on that one, Kelly. Yeah. The Library of Alexandria, it's all people who are alive now. Uh, my number one pick for a book that should be a movie. Uh, yep. Kelly, why has no one made uh, ad- adapted Raymond Carver stuff into a movie? Oh, yeah. I don't think they've done it well. Like Shortcuts is very much Altman. It's more Altman than Raymond Carver, and you can identify the Raymond Carver plot lines kind of in Shortcuts, but they're still very Altman-esque. Uh, a fella did a, a movie with Will Ferrell called Everything Must Go. Um, maybe two, three years ago, which I saw and was cute, and it was very much Will Ferrell doing a midlife crisis movie, but it was nothing like the Raymond Carver short story, which I think is called uh, Why Don't You Dance, which is this weird story about a, uh, a young couple who comes across a yard sale, what they think is a yard sale, and it's a man just sitting on a lawn with a bunch of his possessions, and they think it's a yard sale, and it turns out he's going through some domestic dispute, and he's been kicked out of his house, and these are his belongings, and he basically uh, just hangs out with this couple and is giving them stuff, and he has them dance for him, and then it ends, and you don't know really what was going on, and they adapted this into a Will Ferrell midlife crisis comedy, um, and then there's shortcuts. Um, but Raymond Carver is so distinctive, and I guess... I don't know, I guess it's just not very cinematic, but I would think it would be such rich material for like a little indie film. Um, so I'm just bummed that no one is really trying to do Raymond Carver as Raymond Carver. Yeah, that's how I feel about Heart of Darkness. They never make it as Heart of Darkness. It's always like trumped out. Well, I've only seen Apocalypse Now. Like, what, Is there a regular Heart of Darkness adaptation? No, that's what I'm saying. Oh, oh, I see. So it should be. Uh, we're not that. Yeah, like the the fate of the Belgian Congo. I mean, the, the Heart of Darkness is all about. Isn't it about like the colonial era and the abuses in the Belgian Congo? Like, well, it's not yeah. really a topic for us unless we can somehow relate it to Vietnam. There's a lot of Heart of Darkness adaptations, aren't there? I've no, I don't think I've ever seen one. Well, yeah, but it's never called that. Oh, it's is it? No, one. there might be a straight up John Malkovich one where Malkovich is Kurtz. I think, I, th- I think there um, is. 
Well, that's why it's not. And Tim Roth is maybe the. I I might be. Yeah. Tim Roth too. Where where Tim Roth is the guy looking for Kurtz and 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 Malkovich is Kurtz. Did I just invent that dingus, or does that sound like a thing? It sounds right. It sounds like something. But none of us saw it. I thought Orson Orson Welles did one, but it might have just been. You're thinking of Night of the Hunter, I think. Oh, right. Night of the Hunter? That's not Orson Welles. Shut up, Tom. <laughs> I actually know. Sometimes I know a grandpa movie, Kelly Wand. You can't trick me with all of them. All right, uh, Dingus, what is your number one movie that should be – or book that should be a movie that hasn't so, been? And if it has been, you have to not like it. So are you – for your choice for number one, is it just Raymond Carver in general or a specific story? No, anyone. Uh, let's see. Which story would I want to see – adapted okay there's one called what's in alaska about a couple uh actually the one of the most tedious things next to someone telling you a dream they've had <laughs> is someone describing the plot of a minimalist short story like a raymond carver short story so i'm just going to pick what's in alaska by raymond carver which is one of my favorite of his short stories. Right, i apologize for asking you <laughs> no 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 it's, uh, believe me dingus i could do it i could hold forth at length about a raymond carver short story <laughs> and tell you all the particulars uh what's in alaska is uh it's raymond carver's sort of meditation on um Jealousy and insecurity. There you go. Right, good. Uh, and it would make a four. It would make a great four-person movie. Like I think of how Roman Polanski did that play Carnage into a movie with uh, John C. Riley, uh, Chris, Christoph Waltz, Kate Winslet, and who's the fourth one? Dingus. Jodie Foster. Oh, Jodie Foster. Right, right. Uh, I would like to see that kind of treatment done for What's in Alaska, which is just about four people in a room. Yeah, that's a great idea. So. What's the Baker one that you love so much? That's uh, ch- I want to say cheaper by the dozen, but I think that's a comedy. <laughs> it might uh, be Steve Martin. Yeah. That might be called something like the Baker's Dozen, mm. um, and that's that was one of the less awful ones in Shortcuts. Um, All right. Hmm. All right. So there you go. There's hey. my number one pick, and that's a legitimate one. Kelly Wan does that one. Do I do I pass muster with that one? Mm, this is short story, Kelly. Kelly. So, so obviously yeah, he, has, he has to accept your novella. That's right. Well, okay, yeah. Good point. I'll trade you. No, I don't want yours. No, you can have yours. I'm going to sleep through yours and then see it again with Dingus. (laughs) Read it again. (laughs) Wait, what was yours? Oh, I thought you'd pick uh, George Saunders. I don't think he's he's not filmable. That's the thing is some authors are so reliant on a... Wait, but you said it's their job to figure that out, though, earlier. Now you're like, oh, and filmable's off the table. I don't know that there's any George Saunders that I would think, you know, I want to see this as a movie. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, it's... Australia is... I can't imagine a movie of it being good. There have been attempts to... Well, yeah. I mean, there have been... like... Go ahead. Well, that book or that movie, Winter's Tale, that Dingus liked, Colin Farrell... Right. Dingus like said it was that, that's Dingus saw Winner's Tale and said it was the movie this year that first made him want to open his list of favorite movies of twenty fourteen. That's right. Did he? I said if you're gonna see one movie <laughs> Why did you say <laughs> Dingus liked it? Dingus did not see Winter Nobody I know saw Winter's Tale that called Nobody it. has. It has well, seen the book. And that, there's no way I'd want to see a movie based on it, because it's all in the writing. Like that's all you would have. Right, right. It's unfilmable. It'd be a terrible movie. And I mean, I think it, that's a problem too with like certain Vonnegut adaptations. Like, I just some some writers are just such writers that you know don't don't bother. Just it's leave. weird though because they keep doing it. They keep going. Oh yeah, we'll make Dune for for soccer moms. Watch David Lynch. He 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 knows how to 
Yeah, that was definitely for soccer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but they... Okay, Divergent, probably bad example. Stacy's mom no longer needs the weirding van. (sighs) What am I thinking of? Tell me why that's a question for the ages. We've all wondered that. (laughs) Like Catcher in the Rye. Right? I don't know. Has that been made into a movie? That's what I'm saying. How about Paul's case? Has that been made into a movie? Paul's case? Like Catch-22. Like, they went, all right, we'll make it like MASH, kind of. But also like Casino Royale. But don't you think Catch-22 is pretty good, like, capturing, like, Heller's novel, don't you think? Like, Heller's not, Heller's very, like, it's a very plot-driven kind of novel, and it's the absurdity of war, and, you know, I could see reading that and thinking, yeah, let's make it a movie. Um, Oh, but you think the movie did that. Didn't it? Not really. Really? I kind of like Catch-22. I haven't seen it in forever, but I remember as a kid around the time when I would have read the book, thinking, yeah, good job. Okay. Because the book's an easy read in that movie somehow. Back then, though, Kelly Wan, I would have put Catch-22 in the same category as uh, 1941. The Steven Spielberg movie. I love that movie. <laughs> well, that's how I felt about Catch-22. They're, they're part and parcel of the sort of thing. I yep. liked it that much. Because 1941 is very quick, and it's got people hurting themselves. and like That seems like an easier sell. But Catch-22 for a young mind. I wouldn't force that on any kid. Huh. Pearl Harbor. All right. But I would force Screamers. Isn't Orson Welles in Catch-22? <laughs> Yeah, as the weird... The general, right. General, and he has, like, the hot mistress or something. And yeah. Irving on her. Yeah, just like Nancy <laughs> Allen in 1941. No, they weren't all perving on Nancy Allen. Well, just, just the guy that she was in the scene with. Yeah, but she likes planes. Oh, who doesn't? Gotta have sex with her somewhere. That's such a good movie. See, does Spielberg disown that movie? Like Temple of Doom? Or is he like, yeah, people are just idiots for not getting it? He probably doesn't even remember it. Fives. His turn? <laughs> uh, I think we're done. All right, next week's yeah. three. Bites. What? Oh, sorry. It's, it's, uh, Dingus yes. is next. Dingus, what's your number one pick for a movie that should be made from a book? All right, and here's my dramatic reading from it. Uh, on the road to one side was a heap of rusted metal, which he thought... It must be the remains of a car, such as the men of the old days had used for transportation. <laughs> even, then, even then, it must have been an old one, because just before the blow-up, they had perfected another type, powered by atom engines. Sometimes star men had found these almost intact. He skirted the wreckage and, keeping to the thread of the battered road, went down into the town. Lura trotted beside him, her head high as she tested each passing breeze for scent. I hope Laura is a dog. Laura is a cat. Awesome. Um, Even better. She's a a genetically... Well, she's not genetically modified, but she's mutated. A GMC? She's a A Genovac. This book is called Daybreak 2250 AD. Um, The original title was Starman's Son. It's by Andre Norton. And this is one of... (laughs) This is one of those books. Andre Norton? Ah, Dingus, number one Andre Norton book. That's right. Uh, Daybreak 2250. It's got this awesome blonde dude on the cover on a raft that he's like navigating under this like worn out bridge. And I had to go digging through my boxes of books to find this. And this, I, ah, geez, I remember reading this as a kid. So anyway, uh, so this is an Andre Norton book. Uh, it was 
published many, many years ago. I don't know when it was published. In 1952, sorry. Um, and it's after a, a nuclear holocaust. And uh, so there's uh, people with mutations, and they get to be starmen, or they don't get to be starmen, and they have to go through mapping out um, their world. And as they map the world, they uh, they dig through all of the post-atomic war stuff and some <laughs> some cities are are safe and some cities aren't and he's not picked his father was a starman but he's not picked because because of who his father uh whose mother was and he has blonde hair so he's not allowed to do this so he decides to strike out on his own but he's he has he's accompanied by Alura who is this his hunting cat um, and she like has bonded with him and she's this awesome cat um, dogs have ceased to exist apparently in this uh-huh. world. Yeah, ha ha. Uh, don't, <laughs> what? Don't, honey, ah. don't listen. I, I, my dog just parked up when you said that. Um, so anyway, but but she's like his familiar, and she goes through this world with him. Uh, I, I I just read like the first, I don't know. Oh, Shadowcat. I read the first like quote of this book. Someone say dogs die? <laughs> and um, I just, I remember loving, I just love these post-apocalyptic worlds. So uh, so my very first one is on the on the on the cusp of a nuclear war, my second book is in the midst of one, and this is well after one. So this is Daybreak, 2250 A.D. Kelly Wand, on this podcast, which one of us hasn't seen The Road Warrior? (laughs) What? I know. Can you believe that? No, I don't believe it. It's true. (sighs) There there are no fewer than – I think I own at least two copies of Road Warrior, and Dingus still hasn't seen it. Why? Because he doesn't care about post-apocalyptic movies, apparently. I certainly not. That's really bizarre to me. I've never met a dude who hasn't seen Warrior. Yep. Like, well, I'm, hard, I'm hardly a dude, let's be honest. It's like a girl who's like, never seen Princess Bride. Can you believe that? Yeah, or Dirty Dancing. But that's uh, – wait, Dingus, why wouldn't you want to watch that? Yeah. Just, uh, because I wanted to wait till I could see it on Blu-ray, and then I didn't bother. Wait a minute, but that's recent. Yeah, my Blu-ray. Like you didn't see it all through the '90s. Like, oh yeah, that thing. Did you see Mad Max? Did you see Thunderdome? Did you see Thunderdome and go? I don't want to see either of the other two. <laughs> uh, I watched the That's... Tina Turner video a lot. Does that count? That's really weird. I don't know. I mean, Tom, am I? Overreacting? No, I, no. I think it's weird too. It's one of the the many weird things about Dingus. He would love it. Has seen? That's before. another strange thing about it. Like I think he'd like it more than you. He'd go, oh, well, don't go, don't go crazy here, Kelly. Yeah, come on, let's not go crazy. Easy, uh, ease up on that, buddy. Maybe the window is closed for me, Kelly. Maybe it's too. Maybe I'm too old for this. Are you gonna see? Wait, so you're gonna be confused during Fury Road? He's gonna have no idea who the characters are, what's going on. Tom Hardy. Yep. Uh Uh-uh. Wait, they're what? crashing into each other. Why? That's weird. <laughs> they don't have any gas, and they use what little gas they have like that. What? What's a gulag? Uh, all right. And leaves. Dingus. Kelly Wan, give me your number one pick for a movie that should be a book, but isn't. And if it is, you just don't like it. Movie that should be a book. Sorry, other way around. Book that should be a movie, but isn't. <laughs> and if it is, you don't like it. I think Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, should be a book and not a movie. <laughs> I've only read Splinter of the Minds. I haven't seen the movie of it. Um, my quote from it is, uh, <laughs> I didn't have one. I didn't have time just now to even find one. To find a number one pick or a quote? 
No, the quote is, my favorite book that should be a movie is, uh, it's two different ones and they're not books, but it's also, uh, it's Last and First Men and Star Maker, the Veronica Cartwright reference books by Olaf Stapleton in Invasion of Body Snatchers. So I'm trying to get you to, to care okay. by bringing Veronica Cartwright into it. See, in the first one, the protagonist is mankind, Tom. Mm-hmm. And in the second one, it's the history of intelligence. Kelly Wan didn't know that Veronica Cartwright was in The Birds. I didn't. I still don't. What are the names of these books again? Oh, by the way, <laughs> uh, I would have uh, Alfonso Cuaron direct Daybreak 2258. And mine. Moving on. I want Alfonso Cuaron to make uh, a 2001 reboot. <laughs> What were the names of your books? I apologize for interrupting you. What were the names? Last of First Men, and then there's like a middle one that's kind of the least good called Last and First Men in London, where it's like a dude. There's there's like 17 branches of man, one after the other, and we're just the first one. But we so there's like 17, and then one of the 17th comes back and goes, "Oh, World War One, you guys suck." But then in the second one, it gets like really big. It's got like hyper spiders and fish and plants, and there's a Martian invasion. I think he just wanted the titles. <laughs> and this is by Sullivan Stapleton? I'm going to make you read it. It's a little dated at first, and you'll go, what? But then by the end, you'll go, oh, what? Wait, I thought these weren't real. No, they are real. What are you talking about? Oh, I wasn't listening, I guess. I thought you said they weren't real, and they were things that Veronica Cartwright mentioned in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. No, she mentioned a real book. Oh, okay. I thought they were fake books that were just fake for the movie. No. Leonardo, Leonardo de Nimoy's <laughs> book in that movie <laughs> is fake, but Star Maker's real. All right. Wasn't the, were you the one I was going like, wait, so do zombies exist in right. Walking Dead? Right. Like zombie movies? Zombie games and stuff. Right, right. Yeah. And then you went, you're an idiot, I don't care. <laughs> I did not. We had a spirited and discussion. <laughs> Spirited things. Kelly Wan, do the listeners have picks for have their so favorite looks. movies that should be made out of books but aren't? And if they are, they just don't like them. <laughs> Jonathan J. Lando de Pratna writes, Hello, Jonathan J. Lando de Pratna. Oh, here with my list of books I wish were turned into films. Uh, third is his Dark Materials trilogy. I haven't read those. That's the Golden Compass ones. Oh, terrible. The Golden that? Compass is a terrible movie. Uh, I've seen parts of it. It seems kind of Narnia and Lord of the Rings, but steampunk and Divergent all combined. Second is the Wayside School trilogy. Even with trilogies, I see. Those books are so silly and sword is a huge influence on me, and I think they would make a really fun CGI romp for the kiddies. Uh, the book from my child I most want to see in a film is Owl at Home. I haven't read any of these. A picture is an old-school and hand-drawn feature with a look and feel of the classic Winnie the Pooh cartoons, Tom. More mm. for you. Mm. Wistful but winsome and ultimately charmingly optimistic. And he provided some links to imagery that the listeners can't see. And I'll share with Tom later. Well, the Wayside School, I mean, those are great books. I mean, they're fun to read. They're weird. Okay. Um, they're they're uh, written by Louis, uh, I don't know how you say it, Sekar, Sachar. Um, he wrote holes, um, but they're they're funny books. They're fun. They've got a great sort of weird sensibility. Maybe I think it would be better as a as a television series, but but that's not a bad choice. I'm starting to see why this topic's bad. 
even as I read the <laughs> listeners' good ones. It's because I haven't read most of the books they're talking about, and therefore the topic's bad. Kind of the way Tom doesn't like it. He's like, oh, Traveler's the only book I've read. I'll put that on my list. It's it's not bad. It's just bad because it's not about movies. It's books. That's so... Uh, I'll show you otherwise. Fred and Lynn. No, no right? I, tr- I tried to make it about books by like attaching directors to them and saying... You did I very well. You always do. I did, how'd I do? You always do terribly, <laughs> and you were consistent this week. How about me, Coach? Do Worse I than learn? ever. Did you know there's a movie called Waterland? Jeremy Irons plays a character named Tom Crick. C-R-I-C-K. It's one so letter away from my, on your, yeah. my entire name. Is that how you found it? Because you were trying to find... <laughs> I was Googling my name. No, Lena Headey was in this movie. I was just looking at uh, Lena Headey movies. Yeah. Oh, she's in Tom Crick? Uh, she's in Waterland. Uh, you ever she, get she was in, here's a question real quick, and then we can go back to your books. Uh, she was in Remains of the Day. That's no, a book she was not. Movie. Yep, she's Lizzie, the maid who uh, who they have to fire. Oh, holy cats! That's really? Lena Headey. Yep. Pretty old. What? She's that old? I oh, know. Well, yeah. Wow. Is she a little kid on that? She no, looks... we, she's like the young maid that gets hired. It's like she's years ago, twenty something. Yeah. Nice. You know what? I'll do anything. Fred and Lynn write, Kelly Wan rocks ass. Uh, Fred and Lynn just want to say that we kind of really like his three-by-threes, at least most of some of the time. Tom. I've read two of these. Number three, Blood Meridian, but only if it's directed by McGee. That's the one you didn't like, huh, Tom? You didn't get it. No, but I came around on that. I, I read Did you? Did yeah, you no, I like, read it, Tom? Yeah, yeah, I like Blood Meridian. I, uh, I think wait, that I just wasn't wait, quite yeah. into the subject material. Well, it's not for you, Dingus. Oh. But the subject matter just wasn't that big a deal, and I was... Uh, but he likes apocalypses, and it's like a prequel to the road, in a way. Mm, I don't agree with you there. Did you get to the ending? It's more like a... It's a. It's, a, it's the last page, by the way. Oh, uh, the last page the world ends. Like Traveler, Volume 3. Right. What were you going to say? It's like what? Well, it's very much in his, uh, in his Western oeuvre, or whatever you would call it. Like, It's yeah. very much like that, all the... I didn't. I think all the pretty horses. Is that right? Yeah, I haven't read that one either. But I like that one. I like all of them. I like. All you of know them. who else liked that one? Billy Bob Thornton. Hmm. Yeah. He made a movie out of it. Well, then he disowned it. Yeah, but he liked it at one point. At least the book, and he thought it should be made into a movie. Therefore, he so should. if he was writing into this three by three back then, he would have picked that. He's on it. He's coming up. I kind of messed you around be a little surprised. with the Orchard Keeper for a little bit. Oh, I haven't read that one, and I haven't read Setri. Number two by Fred and Lynn. I'll be telling you other books I haven't read, too, when if there's another lull. Um, Infinite Jest, starring Dwayne Johnson and directed by Ridley Scott. Down with that. Did you read that book, Tom? It's too complex for you. I did not, but I own it, so there. I really like that book, but I didn't get it, and then... Five years went by, and then a guy went, oh, yeah, guy in line tells you what happens in it. And then I looked online and went, oh. Number one, a Catherine Heigl production of Wittgenstein's Tractatus Logico-Philosophicus. Not sure we need another aphoristic analytical chick flick, but what the hell. I think that one's meant for you, Tom Crick. <laughs> Mark Liberatore. Right, it's my pick. Oh, wait, I had a Peter Watts one, too. He had Peter Watts' Blindsight, 
a first contact story in deep space. We send genetically engineered vampires, Tom, and assorted other post-humans to do the job. It evokes a sense of dread like other few novels have for me. It has thoughtful reflections on what makes humans human. Human was the word, not human. Sorry. And the aliens, <laughs> the aliens sublime. Just don't let Ridley Scott get his hands on it. Boy, listeners tearing down Ridley Scott this week, Tom, through print. That, that was made into a movie, and it was called Life Force. True. True story. They're space vampires. Yeah, and they get naked. Naked space vampires are the best kind. Oh, man, I rented that like you wouldn't believe. Uh, Nate, we should point out naked like chick. I mean, if you're into naked dude space vampires, that's fine, but these were naked chick space vampires. Or at least we're not allowed to look at naked dudes, and chicks aren't either. It's like segregation. We're allowed to look I do, at I women. do legitimately <laughs> wish, and maybe it would have been distracting, but I wish that there had been um, Sullivan yeah. Stapleton Wang in that scene in uh, Rise of the Empire. It's not for me, but it, I am. Yeah. A, it always is a little weird. Well, just to commit to the scene, just go yeah. all out and seriously. I'm with Why you because there's this coy moment where she's standing there and he's like hiding behind something. I mean, come on. Yeah, I don't understand why. I mean. We saw one dick once, and it was a giant blue one, but we can't see anymore. Like, I don't – I know they're kind of boring, and they're sort of interchangeable. Tom, you'll back me up on this. This has been your experience. They're not. There's just no reason to hide it in that particular right, scene. I mean, she's right. not, and it's she's totally bold. That's what makes the scene so freaking It's like boring. everyone knows what they look like, but we all pretend – I don't know. Like, little kids see dicks when they're little kids, so I don't know why. If they go to the movie, it's different. Or okay. Uh <laughs> Tom, did I ever t- try to make you read Starfish by Peter Watts? Probably. Yeah. It's like the bottom <laughs> of the ocean. All right. Did you read The Things? It's like Thing short story, but it's all from The Things point of view. Uh, I did not, but you did try to make me read that one as well. Number two from Mark Liberatore is Roger Zelazny's A Night in the Lonesome October, which I haven't read. A cast, that's me, by the way, he's read it. Uh, a cast of well-known Victorian characters vie, see Tom, your favorite century, fight to allow or prevent Lovecraftian old ones from destroying our world. Wait, what? Yeah. A Zelazny so, novel? Neil Gaiman ripped it off, apparently. What's this uh, thing called? I'm going to Google this right now. And Night in the Lonesome October. Okay. I'm I'll, I'll, I'll be ordering this tonight. Yeah, me too. I like, I've read uh, the one Zelazny that did it from his Lord of Light. That one's good. And I like, uh, I think, This Immortal. Kelly One, can I get this from my Kindle? It's not This Immortal. Anyway, it's the other one that's not This. Yeah, it is This Immortal. I think Dream Master's the one that was like, that's okay. And the Amber's overrated. Uh, it's all from the perspective of Jack the Ripper's dog, who's given the perfect name of Snuff. Oh, great. I'm closing the window now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Shortly. Given his steady and emerald kick these days, rated PG-13 for brief scenes of nudity, implied violence, and chthonic horrors. Finally, number three, The Hobbit. Because Peter Jackson movies are dead to me. This film is not yet rated. Keep up the good work, fellas. Cheers, Mark. Think about The Hobbit. It seems like Peter Jackson didn't want to make these movies. I feel like I'm watching someone rake leaves out of their driveway. I think on the contrary, he had to fight pretty hard. Like, there was a long, nasty legal battle uh, that he had to... But I think that maybe exhausted him, and by the time he won the legal battle, he's Ah, like, got to make him now, great. Rob Favre writes, first of all, I just have to say, great topic. 
I can't wait to hear Tom's list of half-hearted attempts to justify movies based on the first three books he happened to see on his bookshelf. You know what? He didn't even do that. Didn't even do that. Because I don't own the Traveler RPG anymore, I should point out. I don't actually have that. You actually have a bookshelf, but you ignored it and went, oh, yeah, the game where you roll dice like D&D, but uh, there's thread. That's how you talk. Number three from Rob Favre, Blood Meridian. I would never actually watch it, mind you, but it'd make me happy in an intellectual way to know that someone had tried to film it. See, I, to me, it would bug me if it bugs me when they adaption it sucks. So I'd rather it doesn't exist at all. Number two, The Book of Job. You know how horror movies have a hero being stalked by an implacable, seemingly all-knowing assailant. Assailant? <laughs> I, like, I like that. Silent? Who kills everyone around him? Well, this script practically writes itself, plus the gets a new family and new herds at the end. New herds. Right. Okay, Joe. A nice Hollywood-focused group ending. I don't know who wrote that. Oh, he means the actual book of Job. So Job wrote it. It was a snow Job. <laughs> Snod Job? The Hobbit is his number one also. <laughs> popular, to- popular pick for a topic I thought would be... I've always loved this book. I've read it aloud to my kids many times. He's like, there's just enough in there to make a nice, tidy, self-contained adventure film. Thanks for the podcast. I guess he means on The Hobbit. Paul Weimer. Number three, an alien spacecraft. I bet Dingus has read this one and Tom hasn't because it's in English. Uh, launched across the vast gulfs of space, reaches human space. No one's seen aliens before. No one knew they existed. An expedition sent to find the home of the mysterious Motes, Dingus? Did you read that one? Is That's it not the name M- of it. Moat in God's Eye? Yeah. I didn't read it either. Yeah, did you read I lo- it? I love that book, yeah. They did Footfall, too, where it's like elephants in the earth. Yeah, yeah, I remember Footfall. I didn't like Footfall very much, but I like I read Inferno by those two dudes, and I remember liking it and then not reading. I, I went through a period where I loved Jerry Niven, and, and, and I mean, uh, Larry, Larry Niven and Jerry Purnell. I loved them. But when you uh, refer to them collectively, you just call them Jerry Niven. I just call them Jerry Niven because, you know, Elizabeth Sammer. It's yeah. like Benifer. Jerry exactly Benifer. right, yeah. But yeah, I like Moten, Moten Gonsai. Indiana LaBeouf, we call him. Uh, number two, one's a priest of a god who was a god for only a moment. The other is the best thief in Durfolan and a failed magician. This sounds like an Andre Norton. Together, their latest adventure together. Let's let's get our spell check together, listeners. Not this that sounds like an Andre Norton. Leads them to a demon-tainted family. Oh, those are the worst kinds of taints. Which needs a pair of suckers, the best kind, pairs to fight a magical artifact and Paul S. Kemp's The Hammer and the Blade. Mm. A lot of nerds listen to the podcast. <laughs> Tom's couldn't be left. <laughs> Even the Book of Job didn't win Tom over. It's like his theology degree. Looking no. forward to Noah. Hate the t- Noah. I, I, coming up so uh, why not? Are you serious? Because Noah doesn't do anything. He builds the boat. Banned in the Middle East. Has it? That's so all I need to know about Noah is that it's Darren Aronofsky working again with the guy with whom he co-wrote The Fountain. That's all you have to tell me. Yeah, but it's Noah. It's like they're not making up their own shit. They're relying on the the oldest story in the world. It's like doing white. Yeah, but come on. Off. Darren Aronofsky's not going to bunt. He's going to – this isn't like that Son of God movie, Kelly Wand. Right. <laughs> I watched the trailer and you didn't, which is weird because you would know what happens, I would think, in Noah. I'm assuming he's not just like – doing a, a sort of a blind adaptation of the book of Genesis. Like, that's... It's like a... It looks like a Michael Bay movie. We don't watch trailers for a reason. 
Yeah. Besides, well, the trailer's not going to tell you anything about the movie except that the guy's name's Noah. Except what the people who want you to buy a ticket want you to believe in order for you to buy that ticket. Right. And by you, Kelly Wand, I mean the average American, not you at all. Yeah. So Why? Because I'm not an American? Kelly Wand, you are an exceptional American, not an average American. Right. Well done. Number one by Paul Weimer, who's having a tough night with us. Uh, a failed assassination attempt during his mother's pregnancy has left him with a small stature, brittle bones, and burning desire to succeed. Miles Vorkas again... This sounds like the IMDb synopsis for Punch Drunk Club. So for Cossigan, uh, <laughs> son of a noble house, not the Clavel one, I assume, on the planet Bariar, Diggis appreciates my references, schemes and outthinks his opposition and gains a group of mercenaries and spacecraft to back him. Yeah, it sounds like the other book. It Lois Imboujold, not Genevieve Tom's The Warrior's Apprentice. Huh. I can never tell which words are the things that he's reading. Yeah, and him. <laughs> I, I sexed it up a little. Best regards, and as always, thanks for the podcast. If I haven't given you guys enough credit for entertaining me lately, my apologies. I guess you're right, Tom. The listeners love it when we mangle their names and texts. Arthur Jovangeli. Jovangeli? Arthur Jovangeli. A lot of books have been made into movies. Here's what I came up with. Geek Love by Catherine Dunn. Wait a minute. Oh, I remember that book. Read the, read the first part of his email again. <laughs> a lot of books have been made into movies. Hmm. He sounds Italian, then. <laughs> Someone probably know that. I'm reading a Gene Shalit article. <laughs> a lot of books have been made into movies. I would say most books have been made into movies. I just I appreciate that he opened with that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's trying to set the stage. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Making sure we know what he's talking about. Uh, number three, Geek Love by Catherine Dunn. Well, see, that's like an he he leads off with a really interesting choice. Geek Love's an interesting choice, right, Tom? You would agree with that? A couple breeds their own freak show deliberately. This is what. So I didn't read this. The girl who spoiled Life of Pi for me read this, <laughs> and and several times, like you know, when somebody tells you something, and then maybe a week later. They forgot that they told you, and they tell it to you again. Uh, no, I hate that. And, and you don't want to be rude and say, I know you told me that last week. So you just politely listen. And then it happens a week later, and you don't want to again be rude and say, you've told me this twice before. She told me several times of the Christmas book. I don't know. I was being polite. They, Every like, time? Geeks were, were named after people who bit the heads off chickens or something. And that that's a factoid she learned from that book. So I feel like I've read the book. So there you go, Kelly Wand. Um, that's very strange. All of it, everything you said. Not that I was listening. Uh, number two, under Western eyes by Joseph Conrad. See, Tom, I've made my point. An outsider's captivating take on Russian revolutionaries. Hmm. The book was adapted by Howard Brenton into a stage play called The Saliva Milkshake in 1975. But movie, check please. Gross. It's probably a metaphor for drones. You, you're saying you wouldn't drink a saliva milkshake? What if it was uh, Amber Heard's? <laughs> Thank you. I'd go to three. Uh, but never in a movie that had a theatrical release. I love this book, and the play it inspired could be made into a great movie with the right director, Tom. See? He puts a little thought into what the movie will look like. Because hmm. oh. it has a great, the right director. You're just like, oh, roll a die. <laughs> <laughs> The Once and Future King by T.H. White. I get excited when I've read the book. A bit of a cheat because it's really a compound 
positive four books in Disney already made a movie book one, the sword in the stone in 1963. Too soon. The entire story ever has been adapted to film. Ideally it would be made into four movies, the sword in the stone, the queen of Aaron darkness, the ill-made night and candle in the wind. Mm. He left out book of Merlin, the fifth one and the alternate sword in the stone where Arthur turns into an ant, which I read in the mists of Avalon. Marin's and in- fire at the gate. A dream to some, a nightmare to others. <laughs> That's uh, a dream to some, a nightmare was... to others. Too late. Remember when he says that? What's your favorite Merlin line? Did you know Helen Mirren seduced Liam Neeson on the set of that movie? So nonstop and away is the gears moving. I what I'm saying. Did you know okay. that Daniel Day Lewis is in the Bounty and Liam Neeson? Liam Neeson was almost James Bond. Oh, I would have liked that. Well, we know what it would have looked like, don't we? Because now he's dead. Now he's making more James Bond movies than <laughs> Jeff Sweet writes. Oh, Gravity's Rainbow. See, Tom, this is how you do a topic. You might learn a little something <sighs> like reading. Gravity's Rainbow by Thomas Pinchot. Did you read any Thomas Pinchot, Tom? I did not. No, I don't. Didn't read B. Didn't read. Uh, I don't read guys with Y's in their last name that aren't at the end of the word. Unless it's David Lynchon. Right? Specifically, one chapter in the middle of the book. You know what? That's what the last person, and I haven't read this one, but they always say that. Like, oh, it's got that one good part. And then it keeps me from reading the rest of it. The chapter follows a German engineer. His wife walks out on him with his infant daughter in the late 30s. You think it's caught up with a group of amateur rocketry enthusiasts. <laughs> All right, I'm cutting your letter short, Jeff Sweet, because Tom sucks. No, no, go ahead. I no, I was looking at something else. <laughs> One day, Tom, his daughter is brought to the base because uh-huh. he hasn't seen her since she was a baby. Mm. He's not entirely sure whether it's really her or the girl is acting in part of a cruel trick being played by his malicious commanding officer. Ah, right. Mm. I see. Yeah, sounds Kafka-esque. Yeah. A few days later, I'm assuming this is the same chapter he's talking about. A few days later, she disappears, taken back to the labor camp where she's been living the next summer. See, Tom, labor camps. It was a different time. It had a U in it, too. The next summer, she's brought back again for a few days, but this time, not only is the man not sure she's his daughter, he begins to doubt it was the same girl as before, and it happens again the next summer. <laughs> I love that, Tom. See, Tom, again, not entirely sure it was the same girl as the previous summers, let alone his real daughter. By the way, that wasn't rereading it. it Breaking it down. And I didn't mean well, Jeff, Jeff Sweet. That was like an involuntary sigh. It wasn't like a specific thing in response to what Kelly was saying. So It was a moan of excitement. No, no. I was like shifting my position, and I was like <laughs> clicking on something, and it was like – it was like a bottle oh, Tom Crick. Hmm. <laughs> so, sorry, Jeff Sweet. That was nothing. Clicking on something. That's what you're losing out to, Jeff Sweet. Tom Crick. Throughout all of this, there are a number of fantastic bits that would work well on film. Tom, disasters when testing the rockets. See? Tom, right stuff. You like that book? Mm-hmm. Allied air raids, Tom, and a surreal day trip to a seaside resort run entirely by children. Sounds like Garp, huh? M- meets Moonrise Kingdom. Tom? World According to. But it's the mounting paranoia about the identity and reality of the man's daughter, which always makes this his favorite part of the book and his favorite sequence in any book. Love the podcast, Jeff. No sigh from Tom. Last one. 
Chris Hornbostel writes, Okay, Kelly, I'm totally playing this question straight. There are actually three works of fiction I think would be excellent movies, but haven't been adapted yet. All three have been optioned multiple times. Uh, in order of likelihood coming to the big screen, Michael Chabon's Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. Tom, you read that one, even? No, I did not. I'm afraid. You didn't? I thought you did. I read that one. I did. I love it. Remember the dog? Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is too spoilery, so I'm going to skip. Oh, wait. Tom, do you want to hear, like, juicy Hollywood development hell paragraph, or is that, are we running really long? Uh, I, is this from you or from Chris Hornbossel? None of it's from me. Oh, uh, it's up to you. You are in charge of the 3 by 3 I cede to your uh, whatever you decide. In 2002, a version rumored to be starring Tobey Maguire, Natalie Portman, and Jude Law was supposed to be underway after Chabon had come up with a screenplay that satisfied producer Scott Rudin. Sidney Pollack was attached as a director. Apparently, that all fell apart. The most recent mentions of an adaptation have been director Stephen Daldry desires to make the book into a miniseries and admitted at Cumberbatch expressing interest in playing the Wolf Cavalier. T.C. Boyle's Water Music? Oh, I've read that one. I've only read Budding Prospects. Dingus, do you like T.C. Boyle? I've never read it. Uh, and James Elroy's American Tabloid. Uh, I could use a handmaiden, too. Chris Hornbostel. I'm cutting it short because Tom's scaring me with his uh, writing. No, prop. no, Tom's totally... This is your your deal. Go. Eh. Well, but you're, it's not about movies. Is now making me. I was just being difficult with you. I've got a ton of runners up, so if it doesn't matter to me. Read. Uh, uh, Boyle's TC Boyle's water music. Boyle's hilarious, profane, and even historically accurate novel about Scottish explorer Mungo Park's failed expedition to discover the source of the Niger River is not only one of the funniest books I've ever read. It could have made for an excellent C seventeen adventure romp. It's been optioned numerous times in Hollywood. Problems with the tone of the film and production costs. Period movie adventure romp like this would have cost a ton to make. Held it back in December of two thousand thirteen. A German production company and director Christian Zubert acquired the results of two point five thousand euro grant to develop the screenplay for English language international production. Zubert mentions the advent of CG significantly reduces the production costs. We'll see. And then there's another one. James wow. Elroy's Mark Tabloid. Um, that was impressive, actually. But I'm going to stop because now I'm tired. I like to take a nap. What are your runners up? <laughs> um, uh, the runner up that I had that would have been one that would violate because it had already been made in 1969 is this book I loved that I read as a kid called My Side of the Mountain, um, where this kid strikes off into the wilderness to just be alone. Um, and I would have Lee Tamahori direct that because I like what he did with the edge. Um, others, I, I would, uh, I would do this series of essays by, uh, uh, David Foster Wallace called uh. supposedly fun thing. I'll never do again about being on a cruise ship basically. And I would have Spike Jones direct that. And, uh, then I would do winter of our discontent, which is my favorite, um, uh, John Steinbeck novel, and I would have Billy Bob Thornton come back because I absolutely, absolutely loved what he did with One False Move, and I would like to see him come back and direct something else. Some girl was telling me she wasn't liking Grapes of Wrath. I think I've only read Cannery Row and Of Mice and Men and the King Arthur thing. I I just remember loving Winter, Winter of Our Discontent. I just love them. It really was the best of times, the worst of times. Yeah. Oh, and I, I think, I, you know, I had also considered Time's Arrow uh, by uh, having Charlie Kaufman do something with Time's Arrow. It's because it, it's such a weird novel. I think it's Martin Amos, but I'm not sure. Um, but I just really remember liking Time's Arrow so much and thinking that something that 
could Charlie Coffin could mess around with. Tom Crick. <laughs> Have you read any books you'd like to share with the rest of the internet? Uh, let's see. Runners up. Um, <laughs> How about the running man? List here. The let's version. see. Got Traveler. Raymond. There's a 911 at the end. Let's see. Flu. Uh, no, that's all I got. <laughs> Is it really, though? Or did Shadowcat scare you? <laughs> giving up on The Gamer's Guide to Halo. Um, World of Warcraft. Galactic Civ. Wing Commander 2. Mannequin 3. I read a Halo novel once. Does that count? What? The whole thing? I know. Why? Because uh, someone told me it wasn't terrible and that I should read it. Was it someone at work? No, it was. Uh, I don't. I don't have a job. Falcon shirt at work. Yeah, uh, and it was. It was okay. I mean, I. I don't know. It's, You're I, weird. You're weird for reading that after all the things we've talked about today. Why didn't you pick up Geek Love instead of your Halo? Uh, it was short. I don't know. Was it? All right, that's a good point. Yeah, you won me over. But that's not. That's, maybe that should be like good. short. I don't. I don't still have it. I don't think I uh, stuck around the house very long. I read a Sherlock Holmes story called The Adventure of the Noble Bachelor. And that should be a movie. And The Engineer's Thumb, I think. Was uh-huh. Should that one be a movie? No, fuck no. What's wrong with you? you crazy? <laughs> Why would you even say that? All right, next week it's... we will be seeing the Lego movie. Which, Yay! Uh, I'm actually looking forward to I've had... Many people say, you know, it's not that bad. You should see it. I, Are they all three? No, I've had adults tell me this. And children. Uh, so it's apparently beloved by adults and children. It's doing very well. Um, uh, so let's, what the heck, let's go see it. Because the uh, the other alternative yeah, is the need, the need for Speed movie or the crowdsourced Veronica Mars movie. And I, I frankly, I don't know what Veronica Mars is. Like, I don't know. Does she fight crime? Is she... Uh, is I think she she's like, a private detective or a reporter. So it's that's she's like a chick private detective or reporter kind of. Thing? Yeah, it's like a, she's like P.I. Warshawski. Is there but supernatural she, but stuff? She, but she works for like her school newspaper, I think. Oh, I or like the, like the yearbook. I, I think the the original so it's Veronica Mars was like a high school kid who's also a private eye. Mm, it's Tracy Flick's movie, like if she was writing a movie. I mean, I don't want to. Kristen Bell still looks amazing, but I don't. Can she still play a high school kid? I don't know. They all try. In Hit and Run, she didn't look to me like she was in high school. Did either of you see Hit and Run yet, jerks? Uh, Which one? Hit and Run is the thing. sequel? Hit and Run, colon, jerks. It's the thing she did with Dax Shepard that I told both of you to see. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, At any rate, so we could have seen Need for Speed of Veronica Mars. We didn't do that. The the new Wes Anderson movie probably isn't playing. It hasn't released widely enough to where if we did a podcast, it would be of any value to our listeners. So we'll save that until it's... Uh, opening a little wider, and instead we're just going to go back in time and see the Lego movie. Uh, not the bully, of course. Um, so uh, see that and join us. Our 3x3 three three next week, here's a simple one. Oh boy. I will not, I will not. It's a simple one. I will not be fielding any questions. I'm, I'm going to take, I'm going to say it, I'm going to take one thing off the table, <laughs> and then I'm going to tell people how to send in their picks. So there will be no questions, no, hey, does this count? None of that. Because there's a lot of things that can be spoiled. Which one of us is that? That's Dingus. You know how Dingus will do this. I want your favorite declarations of love. Now, (laughs) I'm taking off the table. Empire Strikes Back because everybody's going to do, oh, I love you. I know. Harrison Ford improvised that. Ooh. 
We're going to get listener will. They want twenty emails to that effect. We're not called bull on that. Uh, At any rate, that sort of thing. Ideally, a verbal declaration. Declaration implies verbal. Uh, But you know what? Do what you do. What you will. I just want your favorite declarations of love from a movie. Other than, of course, Empire Strikes Back. We can all agree. Whatever. That's the number one of all time. Fine. I concede that. Fine. Uh, Now pick three other things, or one other thing, or two other things. If you have any picks, but not four. Uh, you know what? If you have four, pick three of them and choose one of them as your runner-up. Uh, send your picks to 3 by 3 at quarter2three.com. That's the number three, the letter X, the number three, at, and you spell out quarter2three.com. Uh, and then see the Lego movie and uh, join us for a conversation. Don't reverse that order either. <laughs> so you, can do, you can do it in either order. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. There yeah. might even be, I haven't seen it, I don't know, there might be a great declaration of love in the Lego movie, in which case that could be one of your picks. Uh, so join us for that next week. I am Tom Chick. I've been joined by Christian Mokrowski. It's Christian Moroski. And Kelly Wand. My only run-up was Star Wars, but truer to the novel. I hope you sleep during episode seven. And then The Empire really did rise in this movie. Hi guys. Star Wars is Appropriate response. If you've enjoyed this podcast, subscribe to our newsletter. You've come a long way to stroke your cock while watching us podcast.